the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, April 15th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America. Steak for breakfast. So stand by. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STAKE15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear. Hot melted plastic made just for you. Use the code STAKE for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The humblest of pillow farmers in the apparatus known as the MyPillow family are cranking out big time Easter savings this weekend. Imagine that. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mike Lindell is going to make you do it as comfortably as possible. It's the best night's sleep you've ever owned when you enter promo code STAKE at checkout. Hit up the website, mypillow.com forward slash steak, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative. We'll probably wish you a happy Easter at 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming... Potting. Think I'm being foolish if I don't rush in. You can get those ears taken care of at odyssey.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. Licensed FFL if you're into the tradesies. He's got a five-star rating. Newly redesigned, easy-to-use website, westcoastsurvivalarms.com. Get them up on Facebook Messenger or via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast backs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. It's pretty fire IG. Find them at MediocreMedic.com. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair. Home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Dump box. Don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. You can find him on Instagram, Facebook, and at dumpbox.us. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast and the website, steakforbreakfastpodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, our Substack, Telegram, and more. On that note, to all our friends joining us on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now True Social. Welcome! Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 126. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's uh, 
still resting up. She'll be back soon. We're going to have James from We The People Radio with us on the back end of the show. And to start, we've got one of our favorite guests. She is uh, formerly of a lot of things. She's a U.S. Marine. She uh, served in the Department of Homeland Security in the Trump administration. She was our favorite journalist at One American News. And now she's uh, Donald Trump's attorney through Save America, Miss Christina Bob. Welcome back to Steak for Breakfast. Thanks, guys. I absolutely love your podcast and am so excited to be back on. Well, as we just outlined and highlighted, we love you, and yep. that's why you're here. So we're glad to have you back. How's everything going with you? I, I mean, I teased to our listenership your new job, but how does that happen? How does that go down? You you were on the weekly briefing like a month ago, yeah. and then all of a sudden, was it like your, your show ends, you know, you're getting off the studio and stuff like that, and all of a sudden, phone rings, Christina, I need you. <laughs> Is it like, is it one of those deals or? It actually wasn't far off from that. I'm not going to lie. You did a pretty good job. (laughs) Um, I mean, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like, I need you, but you guys know, and we, I've been on your show enough. We've talked about, I've done a lot of work on election integrity, both reporting and then trying to start my nonprofit, working on some of the legal issues and, you know, what can we do policy and just legislatively and, he was informed about my work largely through my reporting. And so, you know, as the ball kept rolling and rolling, he really wanted to get involved and just asked if I wanted to kind of carry on what I was doing with his organization. And I couldn't say yes fast enough. So yeah, that's kind of how it happened. Mm. And how's it been so far? Amazing. It's so great. And everything you would expect of Donald Trump, he's, phenomenal. He's just such a good person. He's a great boss, just overall great American, why we all love him so much. And then the work, you know, it's a little bit like drinking through a fire hose to get started, but I'm slowly acclimating to it or hopefully quickly acclimating to it and off and running. Yeah. You know, you, you talk to us off air uh, about it and, and it's, it's really satisfying and relieving to hear you can confirm for our listenership, the the guy that you see on TV at the rallies, I mean, he's filmed so much, whether it's his Mar-a-Lago events out on the golf course, you know, if he if he's pretty much wandering around somewhere and doing something, he's got the press with him. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're called the fake news media. <laughs> They're usually in the back. Um, but it, it, it's pretty safe to say that he is that person uh, in more intimate settings, let's just say one-on-one in the office and uh, – you know, just, yeah. just casually that's, that's him, right? You pretty much get what you get. Yeah, that's absolutely him. He has one setting. It's <laughs> Donald Trump and it's always on <laughs> and yeah, he, he just is who he is. And you know, it's funny because it's, it's so refreshing in politics to see someone like him get into politics and um, just be honest and very real and transparent that back in 2015, when he started it was the easiest thing for the media to attack him on, right? Like, oh, he's not, they would say he's not polished. He's not diplomatic. He's not whatever, whatever, whatever. The reality is, and we can all see it clear as day now, what they were saying is he's too authentic. He's too real. And it's what the American people loved in the past about him. And I think with all of the shenanigans, to say the least of what's happening right now, I think most people are going, oh my gosh, I just crave his authenticity yeah. you know if if i don't like one of his tweets who cares you know i just want something that's authentic so i think i think it's one of the best things about him no you're right there and it's like a lot of people take it for granted there's never been i mean 
there are celebrities, sports stars, not even them really. Like, I don't know if, if let's just say like the most popular actor out there right now, who, who would you say it is? Like one of the top ones. If he or she traveled the country to do speaking events. Is it Antoinette? Mm-hmm. It might be Antoinette. Pirates of the Caribbean was a pretty big, it was a billion dollar industry. Yeah. Billions and billions. Yeah. There you go. Um, you know, uh, they wouldn't draw at the right. minimum 30, 40,000 people. No. A week, a week. It's, it's turning into a week. I mean, I know he's taking this week off because it's Easter, obviously, but we're three of the last four weeks and I think seven of the last nine total. And every yeah. single event's like minimum 40,000 people and all the way up to like Texas, they had like 80 grand there. You know, and yeah. it's like, we, we've never seen a politician who can control that mm-hmm. kind of a narrative no matter where he goes. And uh, it's something that I think this, in our time that we're in right now, we take for granted. Uh, but I think history will reflect it's something that once in a lifetime, because we literally have never seen anything like this before. Yeah, it's it's really an interesting phenomenon. You know, he's on mega rock star status. Yes. You know, the rock stars fill stadiums. He fills stadiums with overflow in the parking lot and 40 miles down the street. In the you rain. Know, he's, in the rain. In the rain. In the, oh, my gosh. The, <laughs> the last rally that I worked for One American News was in South Carolina. And I love a good Trump rally, right? Like, who doesn't love a good Trump rally? I can honestly say it was, like, one of the worst experiences <laughs> of my life. It was so cold all day. And it was, like... 33 degrees out and raining. So it was just warm enough to where it wouldn't snow. It was a terrible experience. And there were still like 20, 30,000 people there that were just out there all day in the miserable elements because they wanted an opportunity to see President Trump and then also just to support him. I, I think, you know, I've attended several of these rallies now and I think that the crowd, yes, it's about President Trump and yes, they want to see President Trump, but it's so much more than that. It's a, it's, it's the community drawing a line in the sand or putting their stake in the ground saying, I am standing here to protect my rights. Like this is my voice, just physically being here, even if it's cold outside, even if it's miserable, I can do it for a day. I can do it for eight, 10, 12 hours to just be out here and let the world know that this is the direction this country needs to go. And so, you know, Donald Trump is only there for a very short period of time, but yet the people are out there for hours and hours. He, he'll arrive, shake hands, talk to a few people, give a speech and leave. But the people are there for 10, 12 hours. Some of them, you know, the mega crazies love to camp out the night before. Yeah. Like it's, it's really, really pretty remarkable. It's a good time, you know, to, for the people we always, uh, you know, try well, to like going to a concert for some people. Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, and, and we try, we, we always have like a pregame portion when we cover it on the show. Some of the people who spoke before, you know, whether it be like Herschel Walker, Madison Cawthorn, Mike Lindell, they're out there shaking hands, meeting with the constituents because mm-hmm. it's, you know, for them, Ted Budd, they're, they're all out there. I know I saw Tudor Dixon was getting around in the crowd and stuff like that when they were up in Michigan. And it's good. John Gibbs, one of your former coworkers, great friend of the show here, too. He's John Gibbs is awesome. Yeah, he's, he's great. He, he certainly is. I think I, when he says he printed out the the big cardboard tweets of Donald Trump and when they would really <laughs> just start to jam up in meetings, he'd hold it up and be like, this is what the boss wants. Yeah. This is what we <laughs> need to get done. I don't know if you read. Uh... Yeah. He's talking about us. This is about us right now. So, yeah, it, it's just, it, it's pretty, like you said, major phenomenon, and I think a lot of people take it for granted, um, but they shouldn't. And like I like I said before, I think history will reflect it's, it's once in a, not at more than a generation, probably lifetime thing to have a politician that could, really be in tune with the people regardless of what 
the legacy media tries to make it and stuff like that. It's just not the truth. I mean, if what they said was true, no one would go. Yep. And yeah. uh, a lot of people. No, I think, I think it's, I, this is going to be one of those things that children read about in history books, you know, or, or not even just children, like college students will study this in history. And so anybody that has not yet been to a Trump rally, I would strongly encourage you invest a day to do it just for the experience. One, it's going to make you so proud to be an American. It's just, it's a place where everybody loves our country and you can go there and just be proud of who you are and where you come from and, you know, where we all come from, whether you're born in the United States or not, we're American, you know, and we're, we're proud of what we stand for and the freedoms that we stand for. And it's just, it's refreshing to be able to remember that with no stigma, without having to worry about, you know, what are quote unquote, they going to say about me? Who cares? I love this country. I love my fellow Americans, whether I agree with you or not, like this is a great place to be. Let's just agree on that. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what it's about. Yeah. I haven't had a good cry in years, but I tell you what, every time I'm on the couch watching the Trump rallies that last the outro of his rallies always hits me you know it's just that's whoever wrote that part into the end the no mountain so high Mm -hmm. blah 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 all the way through the you know never give in never give up that just I don't know what those words resonate that if you really care then that's what you need to be dialed into yeah I really wanted to go uh to one of the recent rallies that I'm probably better off that I skipped I I briefly entertained the idea of flying out for something Mm mm-hmm Probably better I miss that one, though. Yeah, I think we'll... Uh, you guys should go. You should go as press. I think, uh, well, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that uh, the corporate executives at Walmart wouldn't be too thrilled with us doing that. Mm, factual. So, especially if we wore our vests there. Got him. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm pretty sure he's going to do at least one more in Arizona before the election. So Yeah, may, that's a maybe. Might make it a family trip. I'll entice my... my we'll hit Cracker Barrel on the way back. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll hit Cracker Barrel. <laughs> we'll see Carrie Lake, too. So For, for the amount of time you're going to spend, you're going to have to get a lot of Cracker Barrel. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to have to set it up to where we get, like, some kind of hotel in close proximity and just leave my family. <laughs> Listen, oh, come, yeah. come two hours before. Just don't, don't do what we're going to do because it's going to be a long day. It'll know? be fun, though. It'll be so worth it. You'll be glad you did it. Yeah, for sure. And, uh... Who knows? Maybe one day he'll be on Steak for Breakfast. Yeah, never know. Maybe so. a three-way call. He doesn't know he's on Steak for Breakfast right yeah. away. <laughs> he was on the show with the Dana White guys not too long ago, and a week later they're interviewing Rick Ross, so they're not, oh, yeah. they're not dialed into the America First movement. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind having Rick Ross on here either, though. Yeah, well, there you go. So maybe he could get us those pendants of our own faces and like then, he has. And then somebody could say that we're not dialed into the America First movement. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he's dialed into the Weed First movement yeah. and, and Wingstop. I like Wingstop. I think everybody likes Wingstop. You know what I don't like? The State of the Union. We're going to get into the news a little bit because we want some hot takes from Christina. Uh, I saw earlier in the week, Jake Tapper had on Biden regime economic advisor Brian Deeson. And uh, they were talking about not Putinflation because even people in the legacy media, as we hit closer and closer to the midterms now, we're starting to really say, listen, we get it. Let's just say inflation is a total of $100. Maybe 15 to 20 of those dollars are Putinflation, but you're forgetting the other $80. It's Putinflation now, not the Putin price hike? I mean, just because it rhymes doesn't mean it's true. That's Well, hashtag Putin price hike. Oh, right. So, and, uh, I don't think it rhymed, Noah. Sorry. Did it rhyme? It doesn't rhyme. No, but I'm just saying like, that, that's the general. like <laughs> right. Two plus two is four. They're going to make it like it's got two Ps in it. Alliteration. 
There you go. Oh. Okay. You I'll are, give it to you. I'll give it to you. You are a trove of useless words and knowledge. Yeah, right. You make the show go around. Let's hear Jake Tapper grill Brian Deese. Knowledge inflation is worrisome this week. I want to play some sound of what you and President Biden were saying a few months ago in June. Oh. By the way, talk of inflation. The overwhelming consensus is going to pop up a little bit and then go back down. No one's talking about this great, great deal. To the degree that people are focused on inflationary pressures in the short term, that really is, is, uh, is, uh, is not the issue. Do you think that you and the president were wrong and inflation is not a short term pop think up he was a little bit and then go back question. down hmm. issue? No, I don't think so, Jake. Oh, I think okay. what we have said consistently is yeah. that the pandemic and the economy uh, are interlinked. Forgot about uh, the and certainly we saw, just as the Delta variant uh, <laughs> posed real health challenges to the economy, uh, it also had economic impacts. Uh, more people were consuming goods at home, watching TV rather than buying a new television, rather than going out uh, to the movies and spending on services. And so that's like, added to some of the supply chain challenges that we face. But we're seeing these price increases as inflation globally because of the supply chain challenges associated with uh, COVID. That's why we're going right at attacking those issues right now as well. In the very immediate term, we're working with ports around the country to get goods moving more quickly through the economy. And this infrastructure bill, the bipartisan bill that the president will sign tomorrow, is the most significant step that we will have taken in decades to mm. actually invest in the arteries that help move goods uh, more quickly through our economy, more, more cheaply through our economy, and was designed to that we can move out quickly on some areas like our ports to try to start providing some relief. So uh, we are have been focused on this issue. Uh, we are continue to be focused on this issue in the short term, but yeah. also addressing these medium-term issues as well. So, but you're, you talk about the Build Back Better Act, which is $1.75 trillion as a solution to this problem, but your predecessor under... Pre well... Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't expecting that one. First of all, Christina, have you ever seen an administration that hosts more children in like ridiculously high positions in this administration? <laughs> Every single one of these guys looks like, first of all, it's the first beard he's ever grown. He's probably never shaven in his life. And I mean, I know there's a lot of Obama administration junior staffers who walked into like cabinet level positions with the Biden administration. There was a brief time between that. But man, these guys just don't have an answer. It's like a pseudo... First, they blame COVID. Then they blame Putin. Now, that narrative they're trying to shape, I don't know if you guys hear it, they're starting to blame, like, Greg Abbott for a lot of these supply chain issues. They're talking about, like, the clogged arteries and stuff like that. Due, right. to, the, due to the fact that there's no one literally to work at the inspection areas for the vehicles coming from out of the country, um, from Mexico into the United States, to, to inspect these trucks, there's longer than anticipated wait times now for a lot of the cargo. And now they're starting to blame Greg Abbott for that. Because the entirety of his, like, federal workforce is processing the waves of migrants coming in that the Biden administration is letting in. Well, Capri Suns don't pass out themselves. That's true. Right. That was an impressive display of mental gymnastics going from COVID to Texas to supply chain. Did he say, I'm wondering if I heard the clip correctly, did he say they're working with the courts to unclog the supply chain issue? Yep. I'm so curious about that. What are they doing in the courts? Well, we could have solved this solve all along, apparently. Oh, they're they're going after people like Paxson and Abbott for 
you know, slowing stuff down at the border. They, they're saying it's purposely, but. But I've never, like, I, I cannot remember a single time. And you guys have been greeters at Walmart for a long time. Sure. So you might be able to answer this question too. But, you know, I worked in the administration and I, I, I have a little bit of experience. Never once in my life have said, have I thought to myself, you know what, this is going too slow. I know what will help. Let's sue. That will really speed things up. Like, anyway, I just think that's ridiculous. And then Biden's comment at the very beginning of that clip, he says, well, the overwhelming consensus is that inflation's not a problem or something to that effect. Okay, the consensus of who? Like, who are you talking to and who is telling you that? Because the overwhelming consensus that I'm aware of is that inflation is a huge problem. And wherever they're getting their consensus or their information from, it's not the American people. No, no. Who they don't care about. Are they getting their consensus right. from fact checkers? So it's- I think they mean the consensus of their staff, yeah. maybe? Yeah, who I'm sure, I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> I've already made fun of them enough, but... You know, it's 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 just one of those things where we're at twenty four percent in California right now. If you combine everything across the board, energy, fuel, uh, groceries, uh, that's just a ridiculous standard of living. Me and my wife were, were going over some finances last night, and we, you know, because we're getting our taxes ready and stuff. And she's like, "Well, we made this, and and we don't have that. So where's it all going?" And I, I had to almost download a dry erase board app to kind of show her where, you know. Okay, this is how much money we actually take home after everything because it's not how much is on the contract. It's how much goes into our bank account every two weeks after everything's taken out. And now everything costs a quarter more than it did a year ago. Right. So, yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy. And uh, it's definitely affecting a lot of people because I know if it's hitting, you know, people like us and it's definitely hitting the hardworking middle class Americans across the country. No, people are, people are still people are still floating on easy street after the, you know, six hundred dollar COVID uh right. oh, release checks. Yeah, there you go. They, you're, they, they, you're good to go. You got you got four tests with those too. Mm. So you could you could sell those for a couple Just extra to be bucks. just to be clear about this, because I want to make sure people recognize this. The Biden administration is targeting Americans. And yep. by targeting I mean looking to harm Americans. Yes. They want American law abiding American citizens paying their political agenda for bringing in illegal aliens, shutting down the American economy, making everybody dependent on the government, i.e. them, because they want to be the one they want to have all of the resources and dole it out to whoever they choose to dole it out to. And it's not going to be to American citizens. No. So it's really important that people recognize this administration is actually looking to harm us. Yeah. And and they're they're burning it down faster than I've ever seen an administration do it before. It's impressive. Yeah. It's really impressive at how quickly they're destroying this country. And you and we thought it was bad in the in the beginning, but it's just like every every option for things to get worse. They're like, you know what? Let's do that. Yeah, not, not, they are taking every opportunity <laughs> they can to look as terrible as possible. Yeah, I'm gonna do the opposite of anything that helps this country. In addition to putting in place the only person. That could fuck it up more than anybody I can even imagine in my wildest dreams. And it's like every single person, from like Becerra to Mayorkas, you've got uh, the guy at the Justice Department, that revenge hire, Merrick Garland, Austin, yep. and Austin and Millie. Like, not only were they all just awful picks, but they were like literally, you couldn't imagine anybody doing a worse job than any of them are doing right now. And they have no, either they don't have the data 
or the facts do not support the evidence of what they're being alleged of doing. And that seems well, to be Merrick the only- Garland's to your point, Merrick Garland's allowing the FBI and the federal justice system to hold political prisoners. Yep. These January 6th protesters who are still incarcerated, some of them are being tortured 10 and a half months in solitary confinement. You know, they're not eating meals specific to their dietary needs. It's they are absolutely being tortured as political prisoners without trial. They've already served a longer sentence than what they are even charged with. So it's it's worse than just, you know, not caring about the American people as I was sure. just talking about, but they're absolutely they're targeting us. Yeah, when you combine that with the outcome of the Michigan case and then, yeah. you know, there, yeah. was, there was the uh, acquittal last week where they had a U.S. Capitol Police officer under oath admit he was told. Now, that story died right there. There was never any who told him, what was the direction, was it email, was it text, was it radio comms, day of, but he was told to open the doors and wave people in. And when they were able to collaborate that with some video evidence that was provided, that one defendant was, you know, acquitted. But we also have had two young men on the last two shows that we've had, Daniel Bostic, who works um, with AMDC Films, Amanda Milius' company, and then before that, Alex Bruschewitz, who, you know, has a consulting firm and is a major influencer in, in conservative politics. They've both been subpoenaed, and at the same time, both have been accused of organizing the events on January 6th, and they don't even know each other. Yeah. So it's one of those things where they're just throwing everything at the wall, seeing what sticks, how much they could scare people into, like, lying into, yeah, out of or just fear, copying a plea deal because you're concerned that something's going to get worse. It's it's so terrible what they're doing. It's un-American. It's an injustice. It's just awful what they're doing to these people. Yeah, it certainly is. Speaking of people who do awful things to us, Jen Psaki had to double down when Ugh. peppered with questions about Joe Biden's recent comments, which did not garner any warm welcoming from his counterparts in the international community regarding what's going on in Russia and Ukraine and saying that Vladimir Putin is, is basically committing genocide there. Um, Emmanuel Macron, the French president spoke out and said like, you know, regardless of what's going on there, that's for a later date and time. We'll be able to forensically find the evidence that would lead to those dispositions after the conflict is over. But right now we need to deescalate it as fast as possible. Um, Yeah, but Joe Biden continues to go out there and walk around in circles and say war criminal, semicolon, genocide. And it's just not a good look for us right now because in addition to saying those things, we're we're fueling the fire by pouring weapons into the region, which regardless of whether it's right or wrong, the Kremlin put out a statement just over the course of the last few minutes. I saw it come across the Twitter wire saying, if the United States continues to send weapons to Ukraine that are being used to kill Russian soldiers in theater, there's going to be extraordinary consequences. So then there's that. Uh, let's hear Jen Psaki try to put out this fire. It's the best human fire extinguisher I've ever seen in my life. Well, he called it a genocide uh, yesterday. Not once, but twice, actually. Because, as he said yesterday, it's becoming clearer and clearer each day that it is Putin's aim to wipe out the idea of being Ukrainian. That we're seeing greater brutality increase day by day. And some of that, I will note, is because uh, we're seeing, we're, we're gaining greater access to areas. We have more intelligence on what's happening in areas. Uh, leaders are speaking out more about it. And frankly, there's also reporting about what is happening on the ground. But So the president was speaking to uh, what we all see, what he feels is clear as day, in terms of the atrocities happening on the ground, as he also noted yesterday. 
Of course, there will be a legal process that plays out uh, in the courtroom. But uh, he was speaking to uh, what he uh, see, has seen on the ground, what we've all seen in terms of the atrocities on the ground. He's the president of the United States and the leader of the free world, and he is allowed to make his views known at any point he would like. It was not scripted then, wasn't pre-planned. Again, I think we shouldn't misunderstand who he is and where he stands in the totem pole, which is at the top. Mm. President Putin oh. is brutally oh. targeting Perfect. civilians and brutalizing a country right now. So the president, this president, was speaking uh, to what those atrocities are and what he is seeing on the ground. A number of other leaders have done exactly that. It does not change policy in the sense that we've seen these atrocities, unfortunately, for weeks now. And we're going to see more as Russia pulls back from parts of the country. So what our focus will continue to be, and the focus of leaders around the world, is to continue to escalate our military assistance, our security assistance, as we did today in providing a range of, uh, of weapons that we have not even provided to them in the past. And that, I think, is what the Ukrainians are most focused on, and I think the global community is most focused on, how we're responding and how we're helping them. Well, Christina, we talked about it last week. Right now we're at three and a half border walls worth of money funneled into Ukraine in the last 40 days um, that we weren't able to get under the Trump administration. Uh, just imagine that we, we just pulled it out of air and sent it over there in nearly $16 billion already. So it's infuriating. If the American people can't see that we're being played by the Democrat party and the Republican establishment, I don't like, don't vote. If you can't (laughs) understand what's happening at this moment, you're like, I love you. You can be my American brother or sister or whatever, but just stay home. Like let those of us that are paying attention, get us out of this because it will be the American people that get us out of this. The Democrats and the Republican establishment have proven they are incapable or unwilling to solve the problem. But Jen Psaki's statement, I thought just go to goes to show that they're caught in their own narrative. There's literally nothing they can say at this point that will be good, that will solve the problem, that will stick to their script. Their narrative has collapsed from underneath them and they can't do anything about it. She's floundering because she does not have a good answer. The only good answer is return to Trump's policies. Yep. And they can't do that. So she's she's saying, oh, it wasn't scripted. He can say whatever, or she, she comes out and says, oh, he can say whatever he wants. He's the big man on the totem pole, top of the totem pole. Biden's so great, he's powerful and can say whatever he wants. Oh, so it wasn't scripted? Well, I didn't say that. It probably was scripted, but we realized it was scripted poorly and not the narrative we're trying to show. So we need to change the script and I'll get back to you. I'll circle back to you on that one. Like there's literally nothing they can say that's going to work. And so she doesn't know how to answer the questions. So she's just talking. She's being angry and she's doing her best to not to, she's doing her best to be jello so you can't pin her down on anything. Maybe it was scripted, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. We're not sure. If it's a good answer, then it was off the cuff. If it's a bad answer, that means that the staff scripted it wrong and we're bad. So I can't say that. So she, they, they, there's literally no good answer coming from them. Yeah, she did confirm yesterday via town hall that she was doing. I was talking to Noah about it before you jumped in today that uh, she confirmed stupid son of a bitchness of Peter Ducey. When asked from from an audience member, she said, well, regardless of how she feels about him as a person, he works for a news organization that when he asks questions from the press pool, uh, the questions make him at times sound like one, to which everybody laughed because it was a really bad joke. But I just think stuff like that is pretty classless when, Mm. you know, do that stuff when you're doing your book tour, when you start your MSDNC show in a couple weeks and and you're you're not a member of the, uh, you know, 
Of the government, someone yeah. who's supposed to be serving the American people, but you're obviously only serving one political agenda. So, yeah, that's a problem. Speaking of political agendas, your boss was on with Sean Hannity the other night and uh, was asked a multitude of questions, but one I thought was extremely specific and, and one that we've covered with everybody from our own debates all the way up through and with Michael Johns, the co-founder of the Tea Party, who did a really great segment with us a couple of weeks ago, um, talking about how this whole conflict has geopolitically pushed Russia into the welcoming arms of China. Yep. Uh, let's hear the big guy, the real big guy. Talk about it. It was the greatest in history for everybody. Let me stay on Russia and China for a minute. Uh, one report out this week, Vladimir Putin will make more selling oil and gas this year, estimated to be $315 billion. That's wow. almost a billion dollars a day. Obviously, that yep. will fund his war effort against Ukraine. And after watching Putin invade Ukraine, do you believe President Xi will try to take Taiwan? Uh, he has shown a lot of aggression, flying fighter jets over their airspace, keeps talking about reunification. That would be a takeover. And who do you think is the bigger geopolitical threat, Russia or China? Because of the massive economy of China and because of the amount of building that they're doing of uh, their military, you take a look at the number of planes that they've built. Uh, they're building brand-new aircraft carriers. Uh, they're doing a lot of nuclear. We have much more than them right now, but within five years, they'll have caught us. And Russia and us are the two biggest, uh, but they will have caught us within five years. But what they're doing with their money, with their wealth, the wealth that they are making and they're spending – I like the island that they're building. They're building a fortress. He said to everybody that, no, this was a housing development. I said, how come you have the longest runway I've ever seen? The guy in a housing development doesn't need a runway that's 20,000 feet long. Why are you doing that? Thanks. They never really had a very good answer. But, look, uh, I, you always have to say they're both very, very difficult because of nuclear. You know, that sets everything apart. That puts it into a different perspective. But uh, if you look overall, including economy, China's a massive economy. Russia's a big economy, but much smaller. And I think you've uh, got to watch both of them very carefully. I will say this. What Obama and Biden did is they did the all-time worst thing that could happen. They drove, because of energy and other reasons and stupidity, they drove <laughs> Russia and China together. That was something that never could have happened because— their neighbors, again. They're never friendly neighbors. They did the all-time worst thing. They drove those two big monsters together. Ooh. I remember when presidents used to talk like that. Yeah. <laughs> Coherently. Yeah, talk yeah. about off the cuff. Like, that's legit. Like, he's actually speaking from his mind. Well, there's no teleprompter there? No. Wow. <laughs> And the American people can understand it. You know, you don't have to use all of this political speak that makes it sound one way, but what you're really saying is something different, but let's veil or cloak our agenda so that we can say we were being honest, but later when we get caught for it, we can say we didn't say it, Yeah. you know, all that stuff. But he's right. The biggest threat is the fact that China and Russia are now allies, which like how, how terrible you, it either has to be intentional that, you driving them together intentionally or you have to be the most idiotic, stupid administration ever to run the United States, which the Obama Biden administration arguably could have been. But I think it was a little bit more malicious than that. Yeah, it's definitely uh, maybe it's both. Yeah. 
good good possibility of it being both. And and one that's greatly affecting like I think a lot more people are starting to to get keen to what's going on. Uh if it hadn't previously, it's definitely hitting everybody in the wallet now. I mean, unless you're in like the top tier percent of I don't have to check my bank account app ever. Mm-hmm. You're feeling it somewhere. Um a Quinnipiac poll came out yesterday. And it showed Joe Biden's ratings had uh, dipped below 33%. Ooh. Yeah. Ouch. So they also said... Um, Is that a historical level? It's one of the lowest, and we're, we're going to talk about that in a second. Mm. But um, Donald Trump's poll numbers were never accurate and, and most likely never honest. I, I think, you know, there's a very few uh, agencies, maybe Trafalgar, that kind of called it down the... But, they said Joe Biden has already surpassed the entire amount of time that Donald Trump was supposedly at a low. Not that low, but a low this week. And he's only in a year and a half. And we're thinking Donald oh Trump's gosh. were Donald Trump's numbers were always inaccurate. worse and inaccurate. And And Joe Biden has the media supporting him. Donald Trump had a fake media that was peddling lies about stuff that he was doing. Yeah, so his dismal numbers have got to just be like, you know, literally circling the drain if if they're saying that they're bad. Yeah, I would say they're probably... Honestly, I think his national approval rating has to be around 13%. I yeah, that would be a be. great average. And those are those are the true believers that just want to be crazy leftists because they're insane people. Yep. Yeah. And so even with multiple trillion dollar industries shilling, spinning, and lying for the administration, at this point, Joe Biden has the lowest approval rating of any president in recorded history. Believe it or not, CNN touched on this briefly this morning, and I was able to grab part of the clip. Let's hear them uh, try to rationalize. These numbers kind of differ. They range from the low 30s to the low 40s. Low 40s is not good either. But what's key is the lowest are tied for the low for the pollster. Lowest tier. Lowest tier. This is one point off the lowest. Lowest tier. And when you have three or four pollsters showing the lowest numbers for the president of the United States, that is indicative of a president who's in a lot of trouble, at least to where he is standing historically. Well, let's talk about history here. How does Joe Biden, President Biden, compare to former President Trump in this stage of the presidency? You know, there was always that thing. Oh, Donald Trump has the lowest approval rating at this point in his presidency. We did it over and over and over and over again. Well, at this point in his presidency, Donald Trump's numbers actually his average approval rating is one point higher than Joe Biden's, which is a 41%, Donald Trump a 42%. (laughs) A first-term president at this point in his presidency, uh, this is the lowest. This is the lowest for anyone who was elected to the presidency and didn't get up there through the vice presidency. This is a really, really, really bad number. Hmm. I don't believe for a second that Donald Trump's numbers were only one point higher. And they, Give me a break. Yeah, they showed it at a really high, too. It was 42 to 41% favorability at this point in their presidency. Give me a break. There's no way that they even compare. This is so stupid. I don't know how anybody, how can anybody believe this? Like, who actually is like, I'm wondering what's going on in the world, so I'm going to listen to CNN. I, <laughs> I think there's still a lot of a lot of people. It's amazing. Well, they're definitely not watching CNN Plus because we are currently getting more downloads a month and they're getting views. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Good thing we didn't spend $4 billion on our show. Or pick up Chris Wallace as a fourth host. <laughs> Christina, it was pretty awesome to see that they uh, dropped the, the the whole presidential debate debacle yesterday. Uh, I don't ever give people at the RNC credit, but uh, that was probably 
the strongest move they've made in in, in quite a while. Uh, yeah, I was I, I was a little surprised to see that. Not not surprised, but just like wow, that actually took a little bit of a spine to do that. I didn't expect the RNC to to have that much gumption, but good for them. Yeah, we don't have uh, too many friends over there. Mm-mm. Since they, well, they don't acknowledge who the leader of the party is anyway, so it's not even worth the uh, worrying about it. Last thing I want to touch on with you, Christina, it's probably the most important thing as we're heading into the next couple months, midterm elections. We've been yep. cr- cranking it up with everyone and anyone. Uh, we're getting into a real good stretch now. We're, we're going to have just about everybody who's America first, Trump era policy supporting senatorial candidates coming on in the next few weeks. We had uh, Governor Greitens on Tuesday. We're having Adam Lexald on after you. And then Blake Masters and Jake Paquette are going to do a roundtable. We've got Herschel Walker coming up on the 29th. Um, we're trying to give our listenership many, as many of those as possible. I'm, I'm talking with the Ted Bud people, trying to lock in a date for him, and, and we're just going to see where it goes. But uh, talk about the importance of this. You know, there's a, and we don't need to get into like endorsements and this, that, and the other yeah. thing. But just the important uh, importance of it. At the end of the day, with all the House seats that are going to be filled and some of the Senate seats, you know, there's going to be some establishment, more moderate yeah. conservatives that get in, but. The importance of getting those America First agenda ones, the ones who really support Trump's policies, whether they receive endorsements or not, is crucial and key to uh, not only hopefully getting the leadership changed in the Senate, which is something that absolutely needs to happen, but mm-hmm. but helping to streamline the, the the leadership in the House. You know, we've come to the conclusion that Speaker McCarthy is probably going to be it, based off of at the end of the day, if anything, his war chest. Uh, One hundred and four million dollars through three quarters is nothing to sneeze at, to say the least, and. Um, whether or not his policies or, or politics line up with the true, absolute, true part of the base, you know, he's got that apparatus set up around him that's, uh, you know, going to make it pretty impossible for anybody who wants to maybe not challenge him but go up against the consequences of not winning. So, yeah. but, but the more America First House reps you get in there, the more opportunity they have to form caucuses and, and have more of a, mm-hmm. of a voice than just saying, like, because, you know, we've had some uh, – I've talked to some offline and we've had some on the show that, like, pretty much say how it is. There's leadership committee and then whatever's going on in, like, the little committees, it really doesn't matter because leadership's like, this is the vote. You know, so – but if there's a big enough voice, then then we can con- continue – we won't have a 20, you know, uh, 17 and 18 like we did when Trump first got in and he had to go up against Paul Ryan and all the people right, who right. – You know, we know a lot of Ted Cruz people came over and they were good, but there were also ones who were, who were pains in the asses too, and then all the Chris Christie people. We don't want to have any of that stuff anymore. So I think we've all learned our lesson. And uh, what do you think about the importance of the midterm elections where we're going right now? I think the midterms are important as the first of a handful of election cycles that we need to go through in order to really clean out our government. We're not going to clean all of this corruption out – in November. Right. We have to clean out enough so that, you know, next year and in 2024, we can clean out more. And then in 2026 and then 2028, we can clean out more. This is going to take, I would say a good three, at least three election cycles to really get us to where we need to be as a nation. To your point, there's still going to be a lot of establishment rhinos in, and that's, that's okay for now. We just need to have enough. As long as we have more MAGA people in than we do right now, I think we're fine because, you know, the more you get in, the more power they have collectively, you know, strength in numbers, and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And the American people need to not lose interest, like hang in there for three elections. We're talking six years, you know, that's not gonna, this isn't something that's gonna take 
a hundred years. It, it, it's going to take a couple election cycles to get rid of, and, we, and we get rid of the rhinos and the corrupt Demo Democrats a number of ways. We get rid of them by voting them out, which is the obvious one. But then we also get rid of them by creating enough peer pressure, by having enough other MAGA candidates in that they have to change their mind. And you either join us or get out, you know, like it's one of those. So there's multiple ways to change the the makeup, the constitution of both House and Senate at state and federal levels. In 2022, I, I believe is the first step at doing that. We saw that a little bit in 2021, but it wasn't, you know, as big of an election sure. year. So we're going to see that in 2022, but you know, it's the first time we're starting to kick people out the door to say, all right, get out. You're, you are not doing your job. We're going to kick you out. There's enough people, enough Americans paying attention now to be able to do it. And uh, I'm excited because I think it's the first of many, you know, house cleanings to come. No, I agree. And there's there's a couple really dialed in pollsters, some of the ones that that called like the 2016 election as close as possible um, and, and really gave Donald Trump a fair shake in, in running the election that says, like, if we play our cards right now, roll that into the general elections in 24, you know, two years after that, we could achieve a pretty legitimate supermajority in the House and Senate. Yeah, um, I think that's right. Because we'd, we'd be pretty much suffering under all. I mean, we're, we're going to be able to slow down the Biden agenda, but there's still some things that they're going to do that are really going to hurt the American people. And I think that's fine. Cause well, it's just, some of it's already so far gone, it's unfixable Yeah, for at least a decade. Uh, well, our foreign policy, and then yeah. you, you want to talk about, like, energy independence and stuff like that. That's not coming around. In addition to, you know, all of our allies who aren't even picking up the phone anymore. Um, but someone who's usually dialed in. Our last audio clip of Miss Christina Bob today. Judge Janine was on the five yesterday talking about the importance of midterm elections as well. Let's hear how she feels about all the Democrats in the Beltway. It's a beating. Is that a serious question? Yeah. Bloodbath. It's going to be a massacre. What are you talking because about? If you look at the Kamala Senate. Kamala Harris, they even hate her in California. Yesterday we talked about California. But she's not on the These ballot. Wack she's not on the ballot. Well, you know, here's the truth. She'll but be it's, president. They're the lead. She will be. Yeah. Uh, okay. Greg said it. I didn't say it. Greg said it. She'll be president. Then the question presumes that maybe Joe won't be. What are we talking about, Greg? What I'm saying is, I'd be amazed if he's running in 2024. And I'm. No, no, I'm, no. We're talking oh, 2022. Oh, oh, no. This will be president. Okay. Good. All right. Back to what I was saying. All right. They're in big trouble. They're in big trouble because of the border. They're in big trouble because of the economy. They're in big trouble because nobody likes them because they lie and because they're just stupid. That's all I have to say. That's all I have to say. Mitch McConnell doesn't want to put any. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think to her point, conservatives should win pretty much every single race. I may, you know, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But at this point, I think our biggest concern my biggest concern is the security of the elections. I think the only way Democrats can possibly win anything is by cheating. And so I think as long as we secure our elections, you know, all of your listeners get involved, volunteer at your local precinct, become election, uh, sworn election officials so that you're actually inside able to participate. As long as we secure our elections, I don't see how they win anything. Yeah. Like who wants to vote for them? They want to, they want to castrate your children without your knowledge. They want to put you on the domestic terrorist list. They want to give illegals the right to vote. They want to raise your taxes. They want to raise your gas prices. They want to make it harder for you to work, but, but more expensive to live here. <laughs> who on earth wants this type of leadership? And they don't want to give up their Twitter either. 
Right, exactly. It's a threat to democracy. No, it's a threat to your stranglehold on democracy. And we see just how much of those foreign entities have control over uh, not only American policy, but influence of what gets portrayed in the media here when you see like yeah. the Saudi prince who, who Donald Trump used to talk shit about and tweet about on a regular basis saying that his daddy wasn't going to be able to bankroll him in the United States like he did before he was president if he wins in 2016. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, Christina, weird times, but... Super enjoyable. They're good times. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We, they're going to be so good. We are going to absolutely slaughter them. As long as we stay engaged and people volunteer and we actually secure our elections, we are we are looking at very, very good times ahead. Yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, better days ahead for sure. Okay, even though you're not on the news anymore, you're still one of our favorites and we want to direct all of our listenership to be able to find you on social media. So wherever you're at, let them know. We'll live link it in the show description today. They keep track of what you're doing. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, Christina underscore Bob, B-O-B-B. That's where most of my social media handles. And then now, thankfully, I'm on Truth Social. That's oh. just my name, Christina Bob. Nice. And, you know, I'm, I'm on all the things. Which is what we like to hear. We're also on Truth Social as well. And uh, we'll be uh, keeping in touch and we'll be getting you back real soon. It's been uh, too long after a reschedule last time in between our, yes. our, our dates and uh we really look forward to this. We'll have Antoinette back with us next time, and it'll be uh, awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll maybe know. Hit the garrison button a couple of times and make you laugh. Now there you go. Perfect. Miss <laughs> Christina Bob, attorney for Donald Trump, working with Save America. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today. Thank you. All right, jumping in with us today, we've got a special guest host. Doesn't need really any introduction because he's been on so many times. But we're going to do it anyway. Oh. There you go. He's one of the hosts of We the People Radio and one of our dear friends, James. Thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast with us. Always a pleasure joining you boys. It's uh, I, I got a, I got a tough act to follow. You got me coming in after Christina Bob, man. <laughs> no agrees. Yes. That's a, that's a tough act to follow, but I appreciate you guys having me on as always. And uh, always glad to step in and fill in as a guest co-host with you guys. It's one of my favorite shows. Yeah, it was great to catch up with her. She's in the process of moving in addition to now working directly for Donald Trump. It's pretty, uh, pretty amazing to see her career path and how it's that's moving. Yeah. Moving and life. So, I think she's uh she's doing pretty well for herself, and uh, it's pretty safe to say that she's dialed in to the uh, big guy. She deserves it. She's she's an absolute monster, and and uh, love love her work. So yeah, uh, it's an honor. It's an honor to follow her up and 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 fill her fill her spot. Well, it's an honor <laughs> to have you back as well. You know, and it's one of the things I tell so many people. They ask questions about guests that we have on and stuff, and I said, listen, there's I, her name always comes up, and I say she is the one person that it's not blindly, but just so. Her moral compass is so dialed into like what she feels is like true and the best for this country. And, you know, a lot of those roads start and end with Donald Trump. She has been probably one of his most loyal uh, compatriots for since day one. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's great to have her back and to see her really flourishing in the new job that she's got working for Save America. We need people like her. We need more people like her Uh, because this country needs a lot of saving right now. Look what's going on. And you covered it with your previous two guests in in previous shows in detail but it's it's out of control and we need more people like her who are gonna do things for the right reasons uh not do things for the money or the fame or just hold political clout um it's really unfortunate and she's shining a bright light on all the corruption and she's been doing it for a long time now someone who may or may not be in it for the money or the fame uh has been making some major waves in regards to possibly saving social media lately uh mr tesla mr spacex transhumanism, et cetera. Elon Musk. As, uh, it is funny watching all the people who want 
all electric cars mm. to eat him alive. Right. This, like, isn't I it on your team? Understand what's going on? Like, <laughs> it, it's hard to understand what's going on. You know, you you see him like the tweets, "I love you," or you know, "I love Twitter," and then someone's like, "You should buy it," and then he responds like, <laughs> Maybe "Okay, how, how much does it cost?" And then you see all this stuff going on. Um, yeah, it's just been a really weird narrative. Uh, probably with some of the most unlikely of heroes. And even though Steve Bannon was talking shit about us last week, saying that he's not Iron Man, even though we were only making fun of it because of the memes that got made of the him proposing to fight Putin. Oh, special shout out to Landon Starbuck. Thanks for coming up and finally getting on steak for war room yesterday. <laughs> Listen, here's the deal. You come on steak for breakfast. I won't give you the last three minutes and 37 seconds of the show because you pushed all your guests too far. Oh, I will give you prime time. That's a shame. Right. First interview block like we did when you came on with Robbie last week. You've always got a home here, and the Starbucks are uh, some of our greatest friends. Someone who's not one of our greatest friends, but is everybody's favorite paid op. Tucky Mm. broke down and unpacked a little bit this whole Elon Musk narrative last night. Let's hear him. Elon Musk became famous as a businessman. He makes electric cars and rockets and has become the single richest person on planet Earth by doing that. Elon Musk is not from the United States. He grew up in South Africa, and yet he has a keen and precise understanding of how our system was designed to work. As he put it on Twitter last month, quote, free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. Fact. And then Musk asked his 80 million followers on Twitter a very simple question, quote, do you believe Twitter rigorously adheres to that principle? And overwhelmingly, they answered, no, it doesn't. So Elon Musk understands something about Twitter that many people in our country don't understand, which is it is the single most important forum for speech possibly in the world. Not because it's the biggest, but because it's where elite opinion is incubated. And so free speech on Twitter matters. And last month, Elon Musk gave the impression that he planned to do something about it, that he planned to open up Twitter. He bought 10% of the company. Now, today, Musk has just put in an offer to buy 100% of Twitter at $54 a share and take the company private. Now, from a business perspective, this is a very tempting offer for the company. In fact, his offer represents a 54% premium over the company's share price the day before he began investing in it. Mm. He wrote a letter to Twitter's board last night. Quote, Twitter has extraordinary potential, he wrote. I will unlock it. Such an Iron Man. So this is more than a business play. In fact, it's not an overstatement to say it could be the single most important development for free speech in the modern history of the United States. As Musk put it, Twitter's potential is to be, quote, the platform for free speech around the globe. Twitter will, quote, neither thrive nor serve the societal imperative in its current form. Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. Musk then made it clear that he has no confidence whatsoever in the people who currently run Twitter, including its pro-censorship CEO. Quote, if this deal doesn't work, given that I have no confidence in management, nor do I believe I can drive the necessary change in the public market, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. That means if Twitter's board rejects Elon Musk's offer, they will need to explain why to their shareholders they turned down a deal that would make the shareholders much richer. So by doing this, Elon Musk is putting everything on the line. He knows how important Twitter is to the people who run our system, who run the global system. For them, censorship and propaganda are not a feature of their rule. Their rule depends on censorship and propaganda. If you are offering 
policies that really benefit nobody but yourself, you have to lie about them and you must prevent anyone from complaining about it. So censorship and propaganda are at the very heart of neoliberalism. And Elon Musk is challenging all of that directly. He's the richest man in the world. He's not trying to make more money. He's not donating to a foreign charity or creating a tax shelter for himself, at least in this case. He's using his money to allow at least potentially Americans to speak freely. Is it distressing that our own democratic system isn't working, that you would need some rich guy to swoop in deus ex machina to save free speech in the United States? Of course it is. Is it sad that we're all desperate for Elon Musk to save us? Yes, it is. But who else is going to save us? True story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, it's so interesting to watch this entire thing unfold because he's literally cornered them. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the person, the first person to come out and denounce this deal was Saudi Prince Al Walid. Yep. Who just so happened to fund Barry Satoro's college in Harvard and is photoed with him when Barry was quite young. I believe he also gave uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 million to the Clinton Foundation in campaign. Mm. Mm. Oh, just just a coincidence. And he's one of the uh, other large owners of Twitter shares. And but he, 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 Tucker he, detailed it perfectly. Yeah, he was, like, he was the first one to openly uh, say he was against this buyout option as well. Mm-hmm. He, oh, that's what I'm. That's why I'm saying he was the first one to to, to say openly say it. He's like, uh, no, nah, I'm not doing this. And Tucker said it perfectly. If if they turn this down and don't put it to a vote, they're denying their fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders by just blanketly saying no. Um, because if they don't do this, and Elon sells his shares at like pennies on the dollar. It's going to tank Twitter anyway. Yep. Yeah. Big time. Twitter's anyway. Now, I also find it interesting that Don Donnie, Uncle Donnie, has a acquisition company. Wouldn't it be wild if his acquisition company came in and swooped up those shares at pennies on the dollar? That would be amazing. <laughs> Wouldn't that be an interesting turn of events? Now, Donnie is now the largest shareholder of Twitter. I still think they do hey, need to, back. They do need to do the uh, homeless shelter thing though. That would be amazing. Oh, Twitter HQ. Yeah, <laughs> since they all work from home anyway. I'm I'm looking at some of the logistics now from from the original and I'm I'm reading from a thread. Well, I'm going to paraphrase from a thread on Twitter. Jeff Carlson put it out there yesterday. So, Twitter stock price was the low 30s dollar-wise prior to Elon's purchase. Uh, Elon is offering nearly $55 a share, which is a 65% increase at what he bought it at. And market rate. Put a uh, little cannabis troll in there. Five, he, he added a little 420 in there. He did. 5420 was mm. the exact offer. Um, this is not only being fought by the management internally, but by the legacy media and, of course, the government. And shockingly, the other institutional shareholders worldwide. Um, like most media properties, it's not purely financial. It resides with control and the ability to censor and shape news narratives. That's the big buying power from Twitter. No, you touched on this a couple weeks ago when you said it is the all-encompassing, like, top of social media. And it could, it has, like Elon Musk said, has the potential to be that great form that we all wish it was. Yeah, if they dragged it out of the shitter and it became what it was probably supposed to be, it would be well, amazing. You, you could watch girls flicking their bean in full, full-blown pornos on Twitter, but... You know, steak for breakfast is not allowed on Twitter. Um, well, I mean, 
you know, stay for not. podcast is though <laughs> for podcast is for, for let's see how, how long, I know. but no, you're absolutely right. It, it's, it's wild to see and to, to see these people. I mean, say, let's be, let's let's be realistic saw, about I people that are going to watch us over flicking beans though. Mm. I mean, I would <laughs> true story. Sorry. I, I've, I've said no to porn. We, we know uh, that we know that the, our government is panicking um, because since Elon Musk initially bought those nearly 10% of the company, they've opened uh, federal investigations into Elon Musk and his business dealings with Tesla. Nice. So we've seen that as an intimidation, but also could have been one of the things that had him continuing to go down this road. Uh, we saw Black BlackRock and Vanguard, who combined to uh, own a large share of Twitter as well, up the ante and now passed Elon Musk to become the majority shareholder there. Now they're above 10%, and that was uh, coming in late yesterday right before the bell. Um, well, I saw an interview with your good friend, Cash Patel. Okay. And, uh, he was talking about how the largest contractor that the DOD has is Elon Musk. Yep. Is Elon Musk. We know for a fact, based on court documents, that the government has a hotline to Twitter on who to censor and who to, to remove from their platform. 100%. Like it's been documented in court. Now, I find it very interesting that. Elon Musk is the largest contractor for the Department of Defense, yet they're trying to do an investigation into Tesla and all of this. Maybe that's like an investigation into their own dealings. It's good. It's a good way to look at it. I, I don't disagree with that narrative either. It's, I mean, this administration's done everything to shoot itself in the foot. I, I probably don't think if the administrative state has anything to do with it, they obviously don't want to investigate themselves. But there's a reason for everything, and and that whole thing is unclear. And, and they haven't even really made clear what they're going after either. No, so. they haven't. It's it's very interesting to see. But I, I, I just wonder what they're going to investigate if a lot of their contracts are done with Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. They're going to see how sh slow and shitty they possibly do everything, which seems to be the case when it's involving the federal government. Slower and shittier? Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. the, big, the big guy jumped on TED Talk yesterday and, and actually gave a little insight onto this whole narrative, and instead of us just kind of debating on maybe why, let's hear him in a couple of clips give some answers on to uh, what his whole reasoning is. Billion dollars in cash. You'd you'd like them to come come with you in in, in the yeah. But it's it's. I mean, I mean, I could technically afford it. Um, I, I heard that. I heard that. Um, but 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 it's. But what I'm saying is this is this is this is a this is not a, a, a way to sort of make money. You know, I think this is. It's just that I think this is. Um, this could. My my strong intuitive sense is that. Uh, having a public platform that is maximally trusted um, and, 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 and broadly inclusive um, is extremely important to the future of civilization. But you've, um, you've described I, yourself. I, I don't care about the economics at all. You, okay, that's, that's cool to hear. You, it, this is not but at the end of the day, he will be able to turn that into a major company if he takes it, does what he wants to do, which is completely gut it and clean house, and then privatize it. You might even see Twitter go dark for a minute while they're, they're re-rolling stuff out because, I mean, he should only ask one question. He's so good at these trolling polls on social media. Who did you vote for in the 2020 presidential election? Internal email, send it out. Then you know exactly who to fire. Yeah. So, because you can't lie. If you lie, he's probably going to say, like, he's going to print out, I voted for Donald Trump in the presidential election and, and hang it on the outside of your cubicle. So, 
not only that, but you'd probably see a mass exodus of people just leaving. I mean, they had they were giving people days off after he bought. Yeah, because they were stressed. Like, mm-hmm. fuck you. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to rewrite all the algorithms because we know that, that that the algorithms place comments and and things at the top that aren't supposed to be there. They're just to shape their their narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, Elon Musk pointed out last week that even like major accounts. Okay, the New York Times they have millions of followers. Okay, the oldest standing uh, pr- uh, printable newspaper in the United States. Um, they'll put out posts and they'll, he's like, sometimes they get like 10 likes. He's like, that doesn't make sense. He's yeah. like, you know, sometimes they'll get like a hundred likes. Like that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Millions of followers. I'm so, sure a lot of those are bought and paid for. Of course. Bots everywhere. He'd have to clean all those out too. You know, and uh, wow. w- would he potentially unlock all of the banned accounts? If that's the case, I'm going to be asking for several passwords back. <laughs> what are we going to do with eight Twitter accounts? Have a lot more people <laughs> see what we've got going on on this show than we do now. I mean, we talk about that internet censorship. Uh, our Instagram has been at 8,000 followers since October of 2021. You're telling me with the... That seems realistic. Yeah, with the amount of shows we put out in addition to the caliber of guests we've had, and even when those guests go and share it, it seems like... People are blocked from even following us if they want. And even people that just want to watch us to because they don't like us and want to see what we're doing. Mm-hmm. No, Instagram's brutal right now. Like brutal. 10, people, 10, 10, 10 likes on my, my shit. Fucking 150 people see my stories. And, and you've like, got like, what, 30,000 followers? Almost 35. Yeah. Between all, between all three accounts, we're talking like maybe 200 views on everything. And that's almost 75K on all three accounts. Wow. It's absurd. It's fucking bananas. They do not want this message to get out. And it's very discouraging. You know, it's like, all right, well, I'm posting and I'm sharing content for what? For 150 people to see it, but I'm going to continue to do it. And you guys are as well. Uh, Nothing's going to stop us. But that's their goal is to discourage people. And there's so many people that fall into that trap. They're like, ah, I'm just going to stop posting. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, we can't do that. We we have, we have a big responsibility. I mean, you're in the same boat to our audience to kind of get out, whether it just be memes or, or stuff that's news related. And, uh, you know, it, it just kind of makes it for hopefully someday that shit will go down. I know every time, you know, people say there's like burps in the, I haven't seen it. Like when, when our first account was nuked, when we were getting close to 12 K 4th of July weekend, 2021, we jumped right into the other one. I think it had just under a thousand. And then progressively every month we picked up a thousand followers, just normal, lots of shares. You know, we're seeing like hundreds of thousands of people viewed a week, depending on what we shared. And then all of a sudden it got to like 8,000 boom, like the hatchet went down and that was it. doesn't matter who's on, who we tag, who we collaborate with. We get the same amount of garbage and uh, you're done. Yeah, that's it. So it's sad. It's sad. No, I, I hope, I hope Elon, Elon does it. And I love seeing all these liberals, lose their shit over the guy who creates electric cars and you know <laughs> yeah. wants to make the world better and it's so funny i think mostly peaceful memes who's a good friend of your show and, and ours yep um he's a legend he put out someone was complaining about it and his response was legendary he was why don't you just go make your own twitter <laughs> <laughs> i lost it dude i was like that is amazing just play their game right back That's oh okay it. well go make your own twitter you fucking idiots yeah i can't believe you you've really seen some of the true colors I, they, they re all the time, but the, the, it, the last couple of weeks it's been just amazingly out there. You yeah, know? H- hilarious. So, I mean, you can't even like how are these people taking themselves seriously when they're reacting this way to this? And like pe- you're, I mean, I know the contradictions are thick, right? But still, 
They don't remember their takes that they had literally two days earlier. Like nope. they, it's, it, I love the the defined L's and like the liberal the liberal L's and Democrat L's and blue check mark L's accounts. Yeah, because it's hysterical. They'll literally post something like Shannon Sharp, the the NFL Hall, Hall of Famer. He posted one thing five minutes later. He posted something that was completely contrary. He's like, I'd rather pay twenty dollars at the pump and then have Orange Man in office. Then he's like. Why isn't the federal government doing about the, doing anything about the five dollar gas? I'm like, I'm like, what a fucking moron this guy is. That's what happens when you have your junior staffers working on your social media. Yeah, it's a joke. Let's it's hear. Joke. Let's hear a little bit more from Elon. He, he he talked about what Twitter is kind of right now and what the perception is of it, but you know, gets to the uh, brutal honesty behind it. Was there a question? <laughs> why, why why make that offer? Oh, so. Um, well, I think it's very important for uh, there to be an inclusive arena for free speech, uh, where all, yeah, so, uh, yeah. Um, Twitter has become kind of the de facto town square. Um, so uh, it, it, it's just really important that people have the, both the, uh, the reality and the perception uh, that they are able to speak freely within the bounds of the law. Um, and, you know, so one of the things that I believe Twitter should do is open source the algorithm um, and make any changes uh, to people's tweets, you know, if they're emphasized or de-emphasized, uh, that action should be made apparent so you can, anyone can see that that action has been taken. So Oof, there's no sort of behind-the-scenes yeah. uh, manipulation, either algorithmically or manually. Um, because <clears throat> you know there's people that throttle some of his shit yeah i'm sure all of his polls get throttled imagine if that his polls that, that get crazy numbers as it is imagine if they were unthrottled and and, and what the the ratios could be on those polls that he's making or or even like he said just imagine like if you were shadow banned or included in some kind of algorithm that less people would see your stuff you had like a badge on your tweet like, we have censored this tweet so a lot of people won't see it. I mean, that's basically what he's proposing. He's like, if, if there's some sort of algorithm or, or ban, like, people should be made aware of that, that, that it's happening to them. and not Because yeah. essentially it's still something, like, that we just proposed. That there's never been, like, con concrete data. Like, the, the real actual fucking, where are all these people from Instagram and Facebook and Twitter? You can't tell me out of all the years. That, I don't even care if there's. Well, they probably have non-disclosure agreements or something. That's Probably not, in the fine text of the agreement that you sign when you like, oh, I agree to these terms and services, and you don't even realize it because nobody reads the fucking term and services. It's like the South Park episode, the human sentipad. You know, that, which is <laughs> one of my favorites, too. Uh, but the thing is, these people don't sign NDAs when they go to work for the federal government, like all the people that leak shit during the Trump administration. Of course they did. And then they fucking print out papers, they take them home, and they give it to the New York Times and the Washington Post. Yeah, but this is people that aren't on the team that's for us. I can't imagine the extreme vetting that goes into hiring some of these blue-haired meanies. Oh, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's very rigorous. I, I would love to pull like an Alex Stein. I think it's an Italian contest. Like, yes. As a blue-haired meanie and like make a fake identity and just be like show and act like one of them and just start reading all over the place and as soon as I get in there like JFK when he got into the White House just yep. shake everything up and be like nah I'm doing everything the opposite of what you guys said. Yeah, hey, I don't wanna, I don't want to say because Alex Alex had the conspiracy castle which 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 was his YouTube show for you know 
long time before he came on Steak for Breakfast, but he really he took off after yeah after he came on our show. And look at him now; he's hosting he's hosting Infowars on Tucker Carlson and Tim Pool. What the fuck? It's pretty yeah, crazy. He, he's doing great work. He's 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 killing it. Um, so we usually get like the last of it. So it's usually like they go on Tucky the next day or two. They're on Tim Pool, and then they'll come down and do us end of the week. But Alex Stein, it was kind of like reverse. He came on our show and was hilarious. Show now, and this he, is the show. He, he you know that, hilarious. right? This is the show to to be on. I don't care what anybody says. Like nobody's watching these mainstream media nonsense garbage. Uh, maybe Infowars people are still watching, but yeah. you can. St- I'm sure Infowars' numbers are, are are down compared to what they used to be. Sure, you willing to say that? Uh, I I can't verify that, but I, I'd be willing to guess is what I'm saying. Um, but I'm sure you guys see the same, hear the same thing when you tell people that you're shadow banned. Like people that have regular social media accounts, they don't understand. No, they're like, they're like, nah, that's not real. Like you're not shadow banned. Like that doesn't exist. Like why would they do that to you? You're just, you're just a guy. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm just a fucking guy. Why would they do that to me? Like what am I sharing that's so reckless and and out of control that they would do this to me? Like I have this many followers and nobody is seeing my stuff. I could show you posts where you know thirty thousand likes on some posts, uh, where I'm getting a hundred likes over. It makes no sense, and I'll do it do it across multiple accounts just to show the difference. Yeah. No, oh, and now, now that our shows are all doing well and, and, you know, we've gotten our names out there, and James, I'm talking about both of our shows, it's pretty funny when you have, like, more people tuning in and downloading the show each month, and that's not even including streams, than you have followers on social media, which, again, makes no sense. You know, if you, if you talk about funny stuff that happens on our social media and memes and all this other content, you know, like our Substack and stuff like that, you would think that all of these things would be components of that goes into like the total amount of your listenership, at least in some context. Mm-hmm. You, we see none. Of, that's another algorithm that that we're unfortunately a part of. It's just the average people that listen to our show do not reflect the amount of people who follow us on social media. And to me, that's just weird. It's, it's just very weird. weird. It's very weird, and it makes it difficult because I feel like our shows would reach so much more people if we were able to leverage our social media accounts to promote the people that we're having on. Cause like, you, like, dude, you're, you're having who's who on uh, you guys are having who's who on your show. Like every single important person is on your show. And I'm, and, and, and it's funny, I share your show on our platform and I'm like, Holy shit, dude. Like <laughs> you guys have a stacked lineup today. And then the, ne- the next show that you have two days later, I'm like, God damn, this, this lineup is stacked again, but nobody is seeing it on social media. No one's seeing it on my share. No one's, I go to you, how many likes you guys have? It's like five likes. I'm like, this is, this is absurd. This should be, be going everywhere. Your sub stack that you put out a couple weeks ago was legendary and you had a couple big names share it. So I'm sure it got a lot, a lot more traction than normal, but even still like, it was heavily throttled and it's bananas. Imagine, imagine there was an algorithm that didn't throttle what you got, the work that you guys were doing or even what we're doing. How many, how many ears and eyeballs you'd be getting, getting your information to, cause it's great information. The, 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 the biggest, the saddest part of, for me of our show grift is when I have to re- resolve to including our content in bigger influencers comment sections. Oh yeah. 
Like, you know, if someone's got like a really good point, but we talked about it two weeks ago, I, I hate ratioing people's comments by like throwing in one of our show episodes in a show art or, you know, so somebody posts like was talking about something. Uh, somebody put out something about Susie Weiss yesterday, who's one of the problematic people in the inner circle of the Trump campaign right now. She's got ties to Pfizer. Um, she's got, you know, huge money making abilities, which means she's essentially corrupted and, and she's as establishment as she comes. But somebody put out like a major article about her yesterday. And, and like James said, our Substack, like two weeks ago, outlined like 10 different players in Trump's inner circle, yeah. their ties to what the problem is and what's going on there. And I just ratioed it in the comments. And like it got like 100 likes when I'm like, yeah, it would have been nice if it got 100 likes when I posted it my fucking self two weeks ago. <laughs> and it's just because we're not we're not getting that that view right now. And this is one of the things like... There's a lot of things about Elon Musk that I think are problematic and I don't necessarily trust what his intentions are, but it seems like for the most part, this, this could be something that, uh, you know, he's looking to change and, and, and he gave some insight in, on, on what he wants to lay out for Twitter. Let's hear it in the last clip from him. Well, I, I, I think we, we would want to err on this. If, if in doubt, uh, let, let, let the speech, let, let it exist. Uh, it would have, you know, if, if it's a, you know, a, a gray area. I would say let let the let the tweet exist, um, but obviously, you, you know, in in a case where there's perhaps uh, a lot of controversy, uh, that you would not want to necessarily promote that tweet. If uh, you know, so the I'm not I'm, I'm not saying this is that I have all the answers here, um, but I, I I do think that we want to be just very reluctant to delete things and and have. Um, just, just be very cautious with 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 perm, permanent bans. Uh, you know, t- timeouts I think are better or, uh, than, than than sort of permanent bans. I like that. And mm-hmm. um, uh, but just just in general, like I said, how, how it won't be perfect, but I think we wanted to really uh, have, like I said, the perception and reality that speech is as free as reasonably possible. And a good sign as to whether there is free speech is, uh, is, is someone you don't like allowed to say something you don't like? And if that is the case, then we have free speech. And it's, it's damn annoying when someone you don't like says something you don't like. That is a sign of a healthy, functioning, uh, free speech situation. Yeah. Well, it sounds like he's pretty much figured it out. No lies detected. It's a great it's a great statement. It's definitely what we need desperately. You know, when the president of the United States gets banned on Twitter while he's still president, not not citizen Trump, President Trump, the leaders of Iran can still tweet uh, death to America and you can watch girls flick their bean all over the place. Uh, We have a big issue. ISIS ISIS has accounts. Yeah, there's no there's no freedom, freedom of speech. It's just like, all right, I don't like this person. He's gone. and it's really, really unfortunate. Um, I like what Elon's doing, but I'm very, I, I can't figure the guy out. I cannot for the life of me. I think that's, a good, that's probably a good thing for him, though. Yeah. Nobody knows what he's going to do. Well, I think that's, that's maybe what he's doing. He's, he's so smart, uh, and he can see the chessboard at a level that us, of, us average individuals cannot because we're not nearly as smart as he is, and he's playing the game to end up on the winning side. Um, you know, you hear him talk about how he wants to microchip everybody. Like, that's fucking terrifying. Yeah, yeah. that's a little weird. Not I'm not that. getting behind that one. I, I don't care about anybody. That's terrifying. Yeah. 
Like he's like it's right down the transhumanism yeah. agenda. Um, Incorporates then, blockchain. Yeah, and then 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 the fact that he is the DOD's number one contract. Like, what is he doing with our federal government? We know how shady our federal government is. What is he doing working with them? And you know, what type of relationship do they have? I hope it's uh, in hypersonics because we're yeah we're we're behind the curve on that one a little bit. And as far as we know, as far as we know, yeah. Um, you know, who knows what they're doing in Area 51 and out here in Nevada and sure. Technology. Oh no, absolutely. And uh, yeah, the, the, he he's got a couple issues and and I would say a couple red flags, but I think in this case it seems like it's pretty genuine. Um, I agree. The MRC president Brent Boswell he joined Varney and Company this morning and he was talking about it. I wasn't really paying attention to it, but then I heard him start talking kind of about politics and he kind of shaped this whole Elon Musk narrative as something that might be more impactful for our country right now than was the 2020 presidential election. So I want you guys to kind of hear this as we wrap up the audio clips from this segment. Let's get back to this. Elon Musk offering to buy 100% of Twitter in an all-cash deal. He says Twitter should go private. Oh, let's bring in Brent Bozell to talk about this. Brent, this is all about free speech, right? Right, it is. It, you know, I, I'm going to suggest to you that this is the biggest story since the 2020 elections. It may be even bigger than the 2020 elections, mm. and I'm happy to explain that if you'd like. Yes, please. Consider, consider. Donald Trump won the presidency of the United States in 2016 because he was able to use Twitter. Yes. In 2020, yep. one reason, a major reason he lost the presidential campaign is because Twitter censored him and wouldn't allow him. Since then, there have been hundreds of instances where conservatives have been shut out of the public square on Twitter, which is the new site for the world today. It's not just, this is important, it's not just in the United States, it's worldwide where this censorship is taking place. What is the signature yeah. of Elon Musk? He has said he's going to return free speech. If he does, the entire dynamics of politics changes in the United States and worldwide. Think about that. What do you guys think? Yeah. I 100% agree. Just imagine if politics from, were, at least on social media, drawn fair down the middle. Well, everybody hated Donald Trump and Don Donnie using Twitter. Yep. They were like, he shouldn't be doing this. It's, it's not presidential to be addressing the nation from Twitter. But he was censored everywhere. Any, any news station that he went on, they literally clipped and ch chopped up the audio so it, it fit their narrative. They still, there's still to this day people think that Donald Trump went on TV and said to drink bleach is a cure for COVID. Yeah. Um, still to this day. Yep. Uh, still talking about it. It's, it's wild to me. The Charlottesville narrative. Joe Biden was talking about it again just a few weeks ago. Yeah. Or, or the time he was like, Russia made me do it. And he yep. was being very sarcastic. They cut the clip. Um, so this was the only way that he was able to address the American public directly and get his message across. And because he was not able to do that the way he was in 2016 or throughout his uh, first couple years of his presidency, it really it really hampered his message. And I, 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 I agree with him. But at the same time, I think his message got across based on his rallies, based on the boat parades, based on the, the, the car parades. I think people heard it. Uh, Regardless of the censorship, I think it was just stolen. No, I agree. and uh, But the censorship did have a big component in it. And then afterwards, any kind of light that was trying to be shed on it uh, was definitely repressed. So it counts a nuke left and right. And then, you know, the algorithms were installed to where if you even talked about it at all, good luck 
seeing it other than yourself. Yeah. So. Oh, oh I, I got my fa- my Facebook that I had since 2007 deleted permanently because I posted the video of them boarding up the windows in Michigan. Oh, yeah. That's one thing I'll never post on is my personal Facebook. Yeah. You posted something that actually happened. Yep. Imagine that. Real things. Well, up to the minute we got the poison pill has been ingested. Ooh. So Twitter adopts. Chew it. Limited duration shareholder rights. This is essentially the Titanic for them. <laughs> um, and, and extremely problematic. Because if they wind up ne- saying no to this bill, they're going to have to explain to their shareholders why. Uh, I believe I saw on that show this morning, Twitter was around like $43. Elon Musk is offering almost $55. Um, where is this coming from and what is it doing? You what do you think? Buy Twitter or no? Like us. Like if I was going to buy stocks. I have some. Yeah. So. Think it's going to tank? I think they'll tank it yeah. when he initially buys it, but then when it comes back. Boom. Yeah. It, it Well, it, it's going to go one of two ways. It's, I agree with that take. It's going to tank when he initially buys. But or if he's going to fucking if he doesn't sink buy, it. It's going to tank even worse. Yeah. Um. So right now it's like. Man, we we really we better hope that he fucking buys it and doesn't sell <laughs> sell his shares because otherwise, uh, you just lost a boatload of money. Yeah, here's the thing: if you're gonna buy, buy now though, because if he does wind up figuring out a way, which he did say there yeah. is a plan B, he's just not ready to reveal it yet. They have to go through the whole process of explaining to the shareholders why this is a bad business deal, even though they'd be making forty percent returns on their uh, investment. Yeah, plus plus plus. Um, Maybe he'll start talking about Dogecoin again. There you go, but but it's going to go private after he purchases it, so yeah. you will no longer have the option to buy. Um, so we got to keep that in mind, and we will be keeping it on mind. And other things related to the election, which includes the most hotly contested Senate seat in the great state of Nevada, as we're getting ready to sit down with the one and only Adam Lexalt's getting ready to come back with us right now. All right, jumping in back with us today, former Attorney General of Nevada, former co-chair of the Trump campaign there as well, and one of the biggest America First candidates running for a Senate seat in the midterm elections this year. Adam Laxall, thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks for having me on. You guys are doing great work out there. Sir, I think the person who's doing great work, honestly, is you. Um, I was I just got some some updated information last night from somebody in the campaign. I believe this is the fourth polling cycle in a row where you've clearly pulled ahead. Um, and that, that goes to the enormous ground game that you guys have set up there and, and how much you guys are, are just beating the message out there to the people of Nevada as they're going through all these things and experiencing what the full effect of the Biden administration has kind of dropped on that state. Uh, what can you say and give our listenership an update on the campaign as it stands currently? Yeah, look, uh, we're, we're, we're certainly blessed to be in a good position right now. We've had four consecutive polls with us up. We had a Democrat poll that had us up 47-40. We had a USA Today poll that had us up 43-40. But the important thing about that one is that, that, you know, they had this uh, pretty skewed Democrat turnout. So it should tell all your listeners where this thing really is. Uh, But the bottom line is that she is being called the most vulnerable senator in America for a reason. All of these polls share one thing in common. She's at 40%. She was an eight-year attorney general. She's five years in the U.S. Senate. And nobody has any idea, you know, what she does or what she's done for Nevada. And, uh, you know, she's, she's in the middle of a rehabilitation tour now, uh, trying to tell people that, that she's done some things. But 
<laughs> it's just simply not going to fly. And uh, the, the bottom line is people the, in, in the USA Today poll, one of the first things people wanted was change. Um, and, and how could you blame anybody for wanting change, considering that every single piece of policy that the Democrats have touched at our state level or President Biden at the federal level and Senator Masto have been an absolute unmitigated disaster? Yeah, it, it seems like. You know, regardless of what you campaign on, it's what what the constituents are actually living through right now. And when you look at it, some of the things are they're you know mass still on public transportation and airplanes, the border wide open. You know, you have the economy tanking, inflation rates like we've seen never before, empty shelves in the stores. It's just really hard from any other position other than like I'll do better. You know, we we people of Nevada need an actual change. It's uh, historically been a weird state, but I think it's it's more got a conservative roots than anything else. But I definitely think the people are realizing when you go full on progressive or you vote somebody in there who says they aren't progressive, but then they get to the, the Senate in, in the beltway and they start voting along the progressive lines. They're really, uh, you know, feeling the effects of that right now. And it's definitely shown in some of those polls that you just laid out for us. Yeah, I mean, look, they're, they're, they extended the mask mandate for all of us to travel. And at the same time, they're about to pull Title 42, which had to do with COVID and border crossing. And so the same Biden administration somehow thinks that there's no crisis at the border and uh, somehow there should be no COVID rules for illegal immigrants coming, off, uh, coming across the border have just extended the mask mandate. For airplanes that we all know needs to stop. They needed to stop a long time ago. And, you know, when it comes to COVID, you know, I've been attacking lockdowns and shutdowns since actually late April of 2020. I wrote an op-ed in this state, which the media, of course, dutifully uh, ignored. But um, Senator Masto was a cheerleader for these things all the way through. Well, your listeners can probably pinpoint when she finally decided to pop her head up on COVID. It was that day when when Governor Sisolak rushed to a press conference because he was worried it was going to be the last state to lift (laughs) mandates in America. And, uh, you know, he said that, you know, uh, it's time and, you know, we've got better numbers. And of course, the numbers by their numbers were still bright red. We were still in high transmission rate. And so it was political science, as we all know. And this is the first time Senator Masto popped up and said, "Okay, you know, I think the numbers justify lifting and I I don't support these mandates anymore. And so this is the trend. She lacks courage. She won't stand against the left. Uh, And and as I as, as I like to always say, if she had courage and stood for our state, she would have stood with Joe Manchin for the last 15 months when our state and our nation needed her to. We needed her to be one of those Democrats that was willing to be reasonable and to abandon this leftist agenda, but she never did that. And so Title 42 this week is the first time she's coming out against the Biden administration. And of course, the media like suddenly pretends like she's tough on borders um, when she supports open borders all the way through, never spoke against what open borders have done to our state. So all these things do lead to, as you say, the perfect opportunity to go on offense, to contrast with her terrible record. You know, gas, we're number two in America right now on gas. Sometimes we, we move to three. Um, 
over five dollars. I mean, we, we have never had gas like California. This is what people outside of Nevada don't really understand. They're like, right. oh, well, is that high? Our gas has never been high in this state. We were never close to Nevada. These are huge spikes. We were at Costco the other day. Bacon was $32 for the same $12 pack. You know, this is hitting home. And this is 100% because of Joe Biden and Senator Masto refusing to about face on their big government socialist agenda that is driving inflation to levels we've never seen before. Yeah, I think the big play there is that when the Biden administration took over, listen, the legacy media had convinced everyone that like the adults were back in charge and that all of these policies were going to move us towards green. Everything was going to be holding hands and like every, the music was going to be playing. It was going to be the greatest country ever. We were going to just dominate in foreign policy and be friends with everyone again. There were reasons why we had realigned with different countries in regards to like trade and foreign policy. Same thing with our border. There's reasons why we, you know, closed it down and, and we're removing a lot of people because people were coming in and, and literally every single person that crosses the border now, give or take here or there is committing fraud. They're, they're economic migrants. And listen, America is a great place to, to make a living, but if you want to come here at some point, you're gonna have to do it the right way. It's the same thing with the COVID narrative. Like Dr. Fauci's still going around the legacy media right now and, and trying to say, Oh yeah, take that extra, we're going to get that booster approved. And then like, we might have to have lockdowns again in the fall. We, we, we definitely should go back to indoor masking. They couldn't have imagined that every single policy they rolled out from foreign to domestic, the border gas, you name it, all would have backfired and they all did it at the same time. And it was all the Democrats who maybe might be more moderate, like the one in Nevada right now, but just decided to go straight down the line and vote to get in good graces. And now she's in the fight for her life. And I don't, I don't think she could bounce back from this. You know, there, Nevada is a state where there's a lot of blue collar people there. There's a lot of, you know, families there. And, and, and I don't think that they can, they can live another, uh, you know, um, Senate term with all of these, ridiculous policies in place that are just absolutely crushing them. Well, look, uh, for the most part, Dr. Fauci is now hiding in whatever basement <laughs> Joe Biden was hiding in last year. And that's a darn good thing for America. Yeah. Because uh, he most certainly failed us over the last few years. Um, but, you know, the, the reality is that people like Masto, uh, all they want to do is get reelected. Yep. And so, you know, she she made the calculation to just kind of ride the leftist train. And now she's in deep, deep jeopardy. As I always say, she had the opportunity five years ago to to actually be a centrist, uh, but she's done nothing to be a centrist. And this, uh, you know, election year uh, chameleon strategy uh, is just simply not going to be effective. People understand that this administration and a Democrat Senate and a Democrat House gave us this disaster we're living in right now. I mean, how about just the, the, the Green New Deal thing you mentioned? Sure. So we go through all time spikes in gas, uh, obviously energy prices, you know, things things are going dramatically in the wrong direction. Well, President Biden and Senator Massa, they had the opportunity to say, what can we do to make this better for ordinary Americans? Well, we all know the answer is to go back to President Trump's American energy independent policies. And we all know the list. Right. But they went away from that 
in January of 2021. That was Biden's pledge that we're going to they were going to put an end to fossil fuels. Yep. And rather than waking up and saying, all right, um, you know, maybe the Green New Deal is not ready for prime time. Uh, we better go ahead and, you know, produce our own stuff and just even a, like a reasonable balance. Right. They come out and they say we need to triple down on green green energy. That's what's going to reduce prices. They wouldn't even about face on any one of the things that they went against from the Trump administration. And so this is who they are. You know, they are like they're, they're like believe in this stuff with like religious fervor. Yep. And they refuse to back off of it, no matter how many times in real life it doesn't work for the American people. Right. And so, uh, yeah, people have been asking for a long time, last many months. Oh, can Biden, you know, get better? Can our Democrats going to recover? And you're like, no, they can't because they just believe in this stuff and no facts will convince them that they need to change course. And so um, and now we're late enough that, you know, Senator Masto is running these ads pretending like, you know, she supports law enforcement and that she's been tough in the fight against human trafficking lies right i mean she supports an open border yep. it's the open border that has led to a human trafficking spike one plus one equals two so you can run these gaslighting commercials all you want but you didn't stand for a secure border on that issue you claim to be you know staunchly against when nevadans needed you and the human trafficking stuff is really gruesome stuff I'll spare your listeners, but there are children involved. There are women. There is the worst of humanity is coming across in these human trafficking smuggling operations and people become slaves. They become human slaves. Where was masked up? Isn't when Nevada a hub for that? Isn't Nevada a hub for the human trafficking as well? It's it's we, we have absolutely spiked uh, over the last few years. And the border just makes it untenable. Yep. And law and local law enforcement does not have the resources to handle all by themselves. You need you need a secure border. You you cannot handle this volume. There's too much money involved. And I'm, we haven't gotten to the drug trafficking, right? I mean, you have huge fentanyl corridors. I did a press conference with a lot of these sheriffs where they're describing, especially in rural Nevada, these fentanyl corridors. And these are sophisticated dangerous transnational criminal gangs coming into Nevada. You think a, a rural sheriff with, with a dozen or so cops can take these people on? Uh, you know, they do sometimes at great risk and they'll pull them over and they have these huge busts. But um, this is all open border policy. And so, you know, to all the Nevada listeners, you know, do not let them get away with this transformation for her because it was her party. And her open door, open border policies that made these both of these drug trafficking and human trafficking spike and has made our state a far less safe place. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with you there, um, Adam, and, and definitely something that you need to keep hitting on, because, listen, you just go back on her track record where she's voted or how she's been non involved in trying to do anything to stop or prevent this from getting out of control. And you've got more than receipts that you can just hang on her head and uh you used to your advantage because you've been advocating for the same thing since day one, months and months ago when you were on with us, which brings me to my last point. The last thing I wanted to ask you, what are you looking for right now? Ground game. As far as the campaign goes, obviously our listenership is 
very vast. Uh, it's all over the country, but they, they're shooting money into every single candidate that comes on here and resonates with them. You're definitely one of them. Uh, everybody understands how important the seat you're running for is. You have the opportunity to literally flip the Senate back to the Republican side. And, uh, you know, Nevada is probably the flashpoint of the entire midterm election in regards to the Senate races. Um, but what do you need from the people in, in Nevada right now that can go and help out and, and do whatever they can to uh, help you get over the finish line come the fall? Yeah, this is what I would say is that, you know, we are consistently winning and this is the swing Senate race to take back the U.S. Senate. That's a good thing. Right. But as a result, Chuck Schumer placed twenty one million dollars in ads for this fall. Senator Masto placed ten million. So there's already thirty one million dollars placed against me this fall. They're going to do everything they can to buoy her up. They're going to run unbelievable attack ads against me. They're going to throw everything they have. And so. I, I need grassroots small dollars. You know, no, no amount is too small. We just need volume. We need people all over the country, all over the state that are willing to pitch in. And uh, obviously, uh, people that are in there are in the state that are willing to volunteer. You can go to adamlaxall.com and, and support us. You know, they have more ground troops because they've got these built in, you know, uh, culinary union, et cetera, where there's a lot of bodies that don't cost campaigns any money. And um, we've got to go get volunteers and we've got to hire people. So we need as much support as possible. We're going to get there. But, uh, but, but thanks so much for having me on. And again, I ask everybody to go to adamlaxalt.com. No, we will 100% live link that in the show description today. And, you know, it's one of those things. People who really identify with the America First movement, they see who you are. They've heard the words and the policies that you're talking about that's going to make Nevada great again, get it out of that purple category and back to red where it belongs. In addition to that, you've got some of the big heavy hitters, friends of yours who have become great friends with us. You know, you work with Erica Knight, you work with Cash Patel. We've seen Matt Whitaker and Rick Grinnell all out supporting your campaign. And it's just, you know, you want to talk about what's, being supportive of Trump era policies, it's having those people directly involved with your campaign. And I, I believe the base is, is seeing it, but it's extending further on that. And you can see it in those polls that have come out lately. So Adam, at some point in the future, we're going to definitely uh, ask that you come back between now and the midterms. Our, our audience loves hearing from you and we love talking to you. In addition to your campaign website, you got any social medias that you want to give out to our listenership? It's Adam Laxalt for everything. So we're, we're, you know, Twitter, Facebook. Um, so it's very easy, but jump on. Uh, boost us, retweet us, you name it. Thanks, everybody, and I hope everyone has a blessed Easter. Oh, we appreciate that. You as well, sir. This is the man who is looking to literally flip the U.S. Senate to 51st seat from the great state of Nevada, Mr. Adam Lexall. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today. Thanks so much. Well, what do you guys think? Adam Lexall's uh, heating up on the trail. Four straight, Solid. Four straight polls that have him clearly in the lead in that Nevada, Nevada Senate race, and uh, he will be the one that flips it if he's able to uh, get himself over the finish line. And it looks like right now he's in a really good position to do it. I'm going to implore to our listenership to get involved with that campaign, both monetarily from outside of the state and then boots on the ground if you're in the state of Nevada. Yeah, we need him out here in Nevada. He's definitely the right man for the job. Him, Joey Gilbert for governor, we could really turn this state around. Yeah, be a a solid one-two punch there. And kind of like I I asked him how he felt about me being deputy sheriff. Yeah, what would you say? Is it, I should no, I should have asked him. Oh, if, if if Anders wins sheriff, then uh, I might be deputy sheriff. There you go. <laughs> he just needs to <laughs> stay out of trouble, and he'll be uh, a lot more inclined to get that sheriff position. Um, I, I do like the way that those 
those guys all kind of line up though ideologically. Um, I did. And Adam was really strong talking about the border, which has been one of the things that that's been his focus. I mean, having worked on two different Trump campaigns and then serving already in the uh, Nevada state legislator for such a long time. And, and coming from a political family background, he knows how important that is. He talks about the human trafficking and the kid trafficking component of that, um, which is a major issue for Nevada. It has been for a long time, and it's good to see him out ahead of those issues. Someone else who's trying to at least catch up, he's kind of a big virtue singler and, uh, you know, only likes to show face when uh, Donald Trump makes an issue of it is Texas Governor Greg Abbott. However, he has made good as today the fourth bus full of asylees has been dumped off <laughs> at the front door of Capitol Hill. Um, so they talked about it being a virtue single last week. That came from both Joe Biden and Jen Psaki, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But let's hear him on Tucker last night talking about making good on his promise. To curb illegal migration north. He's doing this in response to something that Greg Abbott did. Abbott imposed strict safety checks on trucks coming from several provinces in Mexico. So this is a huge economic problem for Mexico. Abbott said he'd lift the new requirements if the Mexican government of these provinces agreed to do something about the migrants. And one province has now agreed. We hope that others soon follow. We wanted to hear more about this from the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, who joins us tonight. We expect that we demand that on the Mexican side, they finally step up and, and stop these low water crossings and, and other actions that are allowing these illegal immigrants to cross the border. If they fail to do that, we are going to continue with our right to inspect every single vehicle coming across that bridge into the state of Texas, regardless of the economic consequences it poses to Mexico. So they've been coordinating. One of the biggest things, and we touched on it with Christina Bob earlier, was that stake, stakeholders across all four states, California, New Mexico, Arizona, and Texas have been bitching that the wait times, especially in regards to cargo, have been ridiculously long. Because one of the things Greg Abbott has done is said, if you're going to continue to take all of my workforce away, all of the Border Patrol, and inundate the ports with all of these bodies that Joe Biden's letting cross into Texas right now, you want to know what I'm going to do? Every single tractor trailer that's coming to the United States, they used to have 50 lanes. They now have two. And every single one of them that's coming in is getting 100% inspection until this shit stops, until the Mexican troops come back and stop people from crossing into Texas. And it's caused a big fucking mess. They're probably catching stuff. Good for them. And uh, if, if it ever gets there, because I heard the average wait now is like at least two to three hours because it used Who does to be- that hurt the most, though, unfortunately? Us, but at the same point, what they're doing is Mexico is finally starting to send some of their military back up into uh, parts of the Rio Grande Valley uh, to stop some of these migrants from coming in, uh, even though they have to do a lot more work south. Uh, you know, it's one of the things where... Yeah, it generally doesn't take Mexico too long to react from that kind of stuff because no. once it backs up through your freaking city, they're like, okay, we got to unfuck this. And we know that states have rights, but at the same time, it's one of those things where, like, anytime someone touches the ground in the United States coming from an outside country, they're pretty much, and I'm saying this loosely, uh, property of the United States federal government. DPS and, and Greg Abbott and, and, and all those components, unless you get into the state... Con- constitutions get into the real fine print declaration of war threat of invasion etc and then you have to win those battles in courts really don't have the rights to do anything to these migrants and getting an update on those buses so three of the buses were sent via greg abbott and then there was a fourth bus destined for florida party bus apparently and ron DeSantis said there will be no spring break here 
there's going to be repercussions for Texas as well if you start sending busloads of migrants to my state and they were redirected to Washington, D.C. So that's where the fourth bus came from. But I heard there's dozens more on the way. And I can only hope that these people organize outside the Capitol and start holding our all of our elected officials responsible because all, all they've done, in addition to not slowing down this administration from having that border wide open by the end of this fiscal year, allow more than 4 million people into this country who will never be removed um, is virtue single and act like they give a shit, uh, which is definitely not the case. Who paid for that fourth bus? Do you know? I believe the state of Texas. Oh, the state of Texas. Okay. It was, it was, it was released last week through the, the governor's office. His, he gave an official press release that they've had the ability to mobilize up to 900 buses. Jeez. Yeah, which is good. I hope I hope that they give the the Washington Congress and Senate the same treatment that the Dreamers gave Nancy Pelosi uh, a couple years ago when she shot down the Dreamer bill. Yep. I don't know why they wouldn't. I mean, I know they're they're trying to buy them off with like free Galaxy Sevens now, but that shouldn't even uh, you know, matter if if you're not getting anything once you get here, except like a, a date for a wait time. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm about to go across the border myself, drive down and cross through the Rio Grande and come back and say I got separated from my family. I could use a good, clean 125 grand. It'd be nice. Maybe a new phone. That's an interest-free loan right there, I've heard. Yeah, it'd be real fucking nice. So, um, Jen Psaki weighed in on Greg Abbott and the uh, now bus tour to D.C. She wasn't very thrilled about it the other day, but let's see when they hit her up about it now that the people are actually arriving. You had mentioned in, in that statement that uh, the truck inspections uh, have led, that Governor Abbott has um, been conducting, have led to disruptions for the food and automobile supply chains and rising prices for families. So is the White House blaming Greg Abbott for inflation? Well, I think we're trying to state the facts of what his another political stunt that we're seeing happen and the impact of it. Um, and what we're seeing is right now, factually, there's over $1 million in trade crossing over the U.S.-Mexico border every minute. These actions are impacting people's jobs and the livelihoods of hardworking families in Texas and across the country. That's not a political statement. That's a statement of fact. I'd also note that what we're seeing with these unnecessary inspections of trucks trans uh, transiting ports of entry between Texas and Mexico are significant delays, which are resulting in a drop in commercial traffic of up to 60 to 70 percent in some ports. And that is significantly impacting the local and regional supply chains to the point that trade associations, officials, and businesses are calling for the Texas governor to reverse their self, this self-inflected gridlock. I'd also note that CBP officers are very good at their jobs, uh, and Texas DPS does not need to replace CBP at the southern border. CBP has conducted a record number of drug seizures with more than 900,000 pounds of narcotics seized just in FY 2021. So the economic impact here, something that people of all political stripes are calling for a reversal of, is something that we think is significant and we felt should be shouted out. I feel about that one, Noah. Uh, she said there's people that do her their, their jobs very well. They find drugs and stuff. That's good. That's good. Good for them. Oh. Sure, they find lots of drugs. There's, I mean, I, I would I would have to venture to say that there's probably a significant amount of drugs coming in right now. Oh. Probably to the point where, I mean. You're talking about because of the inundation due to the migrant crisis? Yeah. So it's only going to get worse. Mm -hmm. So that means that record number is going to get shattered. Yeah. Like never before. before. 
Well, it's funny how she just directs blame, points fingers at everybody but themselves. Oh, they'll never take responsibility for anything, and she's going out swinging as she's getting ready to uh, wrap up her career for the federal government in early May. Well, at least TBP's not, like, racist right now. That's true. <laughs> and you know who <laughs> They was? do a really good job. You know what's interesting, and who isn't racist, um, former CBP chief Mark Morgan, he sat down with uh, Newsmax yesterday and wanted to talk about this crisis um, in regards to uh, why are we ending Title 42, which is, which is a big one. And that's going to be like the COVID restrictions that would allow us to, as a nation, not take everybody in because of health-related reasons stemming from COVID. Trump era policy that the Biden administration has been looking to kill since day one. Um, however, you know, and we've already touched on it, mask mandates for children on public transportation and including airplanes had, keeps being extended. In addition to the CDC now asking for authorization for a third booster as part of the up-to-dateness of your shot status. And we're looking at very realistic potential for food shortages and sure. stuff like that in the United States. And, I mean... Potential? Well, yeah, I'm trying to be nice, but I mean, you haven't been to Walmart. Do you lately. think more people is going to be the solution for this? Is it going to, yeah, like lawn chairs? Going to help things? Lawn chairs in the macaroni aisle right now. Gonna, it's going to, it's going to help what they want to accomplish. Yeah, I mean the agenda 2020. You'll own yeah. nothing. Eat the crickets. Mm, crickets. It's, Delicious it's, crickets. it's funny when you heard Adam, uh, Adam talk about what he was talking about. How they're continually towing the party line. Yep. and it's almost like. They're doing it on purpose. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's coordinated that they're doing this because it doesn't help the people at all. No. None of this helps the people. None of this helps anybody but themselves and their agenda. And it's, it's pretty funny that he brought up Joe Manchin because for as, as much of the bullshit that Joe Manchin does vote for, and remember, we only bring up the Great Wall of Manchin when he's going. It's like one in a million that he goes against a, a Democrat policy, but mm-hmm. the things that he does stand up for, he knows are going to he's like, okay, this is really going to fuck my people over. Like, this is ridiculous. And, but some of them don't care, especially a lot of those younger, more naive ones. They get in and they just want to kiss Nancy Pelosi's ass and Chuck Schumer's ass and, unfortunately, Jerry Nadler's ass. and, and you know, Or Diane Feinstein pins them against the wall. Yeah. And uh, says this is how it goes. Mean mugs them until they, they conform. Scary. And uh, look at what it's done. We've gotten into a perfect storm. It was a combination of, like, the absolute worst president the absolute worst cabinet, all of the junior staffers from the Obama administration who think their shit don't stink got into high-ranking positions. You got a lot of revenge hire and people who are unqualified, uh, people like Pete Buttigieg and, and you know, uh, Xavier Becerra and uh, Randy Levine. Those people shouldn't be nowhere near working in the highest levels of the federal government. But that's neither here nor there. We're at that point right now, but we're seeing what – this is what a perfect storm looks like, the absolute – unlubed butt fucking of our country that's the mm. only way i could describe it that's what came to my mind first um who's going to do it a little bit more eloquently right now is former cbp chief mark morgan let's hear him talk about the end of title 42 reaction to this decision from the Biden administration to continue the mass mandates on planes while saying no title 42 no big deal we don't need to worry about this Look, I, I think it's obvious. It doesn't make sense. I just returned from the southwest border a couple of days ago. I had to take a plane down there. I had to wear a mask for nine hours. Wow. And when I got the plane, I went to the border, and I saw thousands of illegal aliens that are crossing every single day. Of course, they're not wearing masks. Hmm. That was with our good friend John Bachman, meme enthusiast, friend of Steak for Breakfast. 
But, uh, yeah, it, it's one of those things. I mean, the guy literally says, I feel like a fucking asshole. I have to sit on a plane for nine hours. I don't know where he was coming from. Um, you can go back and forth across the country essentially twice uh, to go down to the southern border. And he had to wear a mask the whole time. And he gets down there and you have migrants dressed in nice clothes, hair nice, nails did, taking selfies as soon as they walk across the, the river. Yeah, they got white air forces on. Yeah, it's embarrassing. I mean, well, we, I just flew as well, and he should he should have learned the, the the lollipop technique. It works like a charm. Oh, that, must, that must have make him just insane. Oh, it drives him nuts because I was sitting there doing my TSA check, putting everything through. I had my lollipop in my mouth, and the the lady who was at the at the security, you know, where you put your hands up. Yeah, she's like, tell him to put his mask on. She, he's like, I don't know what to tell him. He's he's eating a lollipop. I don't know what to say. And I was like, yeah, I, I can't put, I can't do both. So they let me, they just let me go. Perfect. <laughs> it's so funny. COVID doesn't exist literally when you're eating, but as soon as you're done eating, it exists again. You have to put the mask on. The, these times will be looked on like none other in the history of our world. Well, like, just- <laughs> people aren't going to wonder who, if aliens built the pyramids, they're going to wonder how the fuck did, did like this advanced technological age succumb to this bullshit. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I think I talked about this, like, last year when, when this, all the shit started but it's like I've literally gone to like throw away like an energy drink or whatever it is I'm drinking and like think about like oh no I need to carry this around like, I'm, I'm gonna need this Yeah, <laughs> it's my prop I have to pretend to drink this absolutely it's definitely uh, something that you gotta do and it's it's unfortunate and well, to your point Rowan a lot of people that I thought were smart like people that I thought were intelligent weren't were falling are falling for it and still are yeah Scary. You know who's wow. not? There's one person who hasn't been falling for it from day one. That's uh, U.S. House Representative Andy Biggs. There was a couple guys up on Capitol Hill yesterday. They had the, the House floor uh, to themselves, and they were kind of laying out some stuff on C-SPAN like they do so frequently. And, and he was talking about the end of Title 42 and how embarrassing as a nation uh, we're, in, we're in this time right now. And uh, let's hear him weigh in. I don't think it's going to be 18,000. I think it'll exceed 20,000. If it exceeds, exceeds 20,000, that's 600,000 a month coming in. That's bigger than the city of Mesa in Arizona, which is Arizona's second largest city. And you know what that means? The last half of this year, the last half of the year alone, you're going to be sitting at, as you said, four and a half to five million people brought into this country illegally. And that's, that's not counting the getaways. And the getaways last year were at least 800,000. Uh-huh. It's enormous. It's dangerous. It's inhumane. We're not, I haven't even touched on the inhumanity of it. We're just talking up here. We're not getting granular. We're just talking about the overrunning of America, our culture, and our sovereignty. We won't have much of a nation after this is done. And you say to yourself, is this incompetence? The answer is no. This is willful. This is willful. And this is what they want. Mm. Bingo. Yeah, exactly. He's dialed in. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things. We've heard so many people. We've had a guest on our show. I can't remember who. uh, It might have been Joe Kent. There have been days this year where more people have illegally crossed the southern border than invaded Normandy. There have been months where more people have crossed the border illegally than the entirety of the um, Marine Corps. Of all the people, and it's ridiculous to just think about. It's scary. Yeah, and, and and you can't even begin to wrap your brain around what those numbers actually look like. Like it's we've become so. De- it's the next thing that we just get desensitized to. Uh, James, I was telling Noah last week there was a poll 
I saw it on Fox News, and uh, 63% of Americans have become bored with Russia and Ukraine. Because, bored? Because, bored with the narrative. Like, the, okay, first of all, this is the first war we've ever seen in modern times, even in Desert Storm when there wasn't even fucking cell phones, where we've seen actual war. In this, we see nothing. We see bombed-out buildings, people with dirty faces. Every once in a while, there's, like, a video on Telegram or TikTok of some, you know, guys hiding in a berm using, like, a U.S. Um, missile system and taking out a tank or two, and then a whole bunch of video game footage. This has been equal parts the fakest and gayest war in the history of wars. Mm-hmm. Hands down. We've seen nothing. 26 and, million cell phones in Ukraine. And Starlink technology to make sure those cell phones work. We can't even see people in buildings like hiding and looking out the window at war going on. It's like, go on Snapchat, dude. Go on Snapchat. You can go on Snapchat and go on uh, location services and and literally look at Snapchats from Kiev, Ukraine, and people yeah, are like want to get coffee. Oh, okay. I, I you know, call me old, but I thought Snapchat was just for like boobs and wieners. No, you, there's like a there's there's now a thing on Snapchat that if you're a Snapchatter, you can allow them to put your geolocation on there, which I don't know why anybody would do it, but it's an option. And uh, so now you can go to that. So like you could go to search geolocations, type in Kiev, Ukraine and see the people snapping from Kiev, Ukraine, like at a town square going to get fucking coffee and, and biscuits and shit. Yeah. Like, and we see we see the president of Ukraine constantly behind a green screen. We see Boris Johnson last month walking through the streets of London in like a fucking bomb defusing suit. But he will fly to Ukraine and wear a regular business suit with no Kevlar and walk down the streets supposedly with Zelensky. You know, the president of Poland, the president of Hungary, and, like, all these other world leaders have gone into a war zone. It just makes no sense at all. Nothing about this whole thing does. And it's starting to get that way at the border. Every time people talk about the southern border, depending on the channel you're watching, you're seeing file footage of, like, the guys on horseback. You're seeing file footage of people wading through the river. And you're seeing file footage of people underneath the bridge. And, and, and that's it. People have just become desensitized to the fact that, like I said, there's days where there are more people crossing illegally than the entire invasion force on the beaches of Normandy and months where we've had more people cross this border illegally than the entirety of the Marine Corps. To me, that is mind-blowing. It makes my stomach hurt, and it's really depressing. Uh, but but to, to the average person, they don't think it affects them until these random crimes start coming, until their school testing starts going down because kids that are coming with these families are being infused into the school system. They have no will to assimilate, and then they need to be catered to because they're going to get the same education supposedly that your child's supposed to get. So then now they have to hire teachers that to either teach different languages or teach slower. The class sizes are growing. And it also adds to the supply chain issues. We're already low on lots of stuff at the store. Listen, even though we're a country of 335 million people, injecting another 4 to 6 million people into the country doesn't help out anybody's economy. Um, You know, there are no low-income jobs right now because everybody's either living off the government or working three jobs at the same time. So it's not like we're doing it just for cheap labor either. It's, it's, It's like Andy Biggs said. It's like Adam Laxalt led on to. This is part of a bigger global initiative to move us towards that one-world government, one-world agenda, which obviously the Biden administration has been 100% in tune in since day one, and it's one of those things that we're going to have to continue to keep an eye on as uh, it develops because it doesn't look like there's any end in sight for any of these narratives that we cover today. No, it really doesn't. It's it's really wild uh, to think the state of our country, the, to see the state of the country that, that we live in currently. Never in my wildest dreams did I think it would get this bad. And this, and fast. It, this fast. This fast. And it's going to only get worse. It's yep. going to get worse because there's going to be new problems in all these other ones, which which have no 
reasonable end dates on them. Well, just the state of the military. Just mm-hmm. like who would have thought that our military, the greatest fighting force in the in history. Well, okay, I guess we're gonna be more concerned about bullshit than being a lethal fighting force. You're talking about general pronouns. Yes. And the mandates. Yes. This has been a burn it down philosophy since day one. We've said it on this show using those exact words. Someone who I don't know if he subscribes to Steak for Breakfast, however, might have heard a couple episodes. Sitting House Representative Ralph Norman from South Carolina talked about the burn it down method going on with the Biden administration in our last audio clip of the day. And Lauren, think about this. How unfair is it to that law enforcement uh, agency, that law enforcement official, stopping a car, not knowing who's in it, uh, not knowing what his background is, having having no information, how safe is that for that law enforcement officer? How uh, unfair is it to the municipalities and the cities who are going to have to pay for the hospital care, for the schooling? Uh, how fair is that? Well, it's not. It's intentional. It's willful. And as people ask me all the time, why is he doing this? Mm-hmm. He why? is burning the house down uh, before... I assume the November elections, which the House will turn over and hopefully will elect Freedom Caucus members who have got the steel and the spine to do something about it. Uh, That's the only uh, he sold out not only to the citizens, he sold out to China and those that he's indebted to. Mm -hmm. And we're going to find more and more out about that as we move forward. And of course, he's referencing the empty suit known as Joe Biden. Um, Can we get some cool whip? Right? Whip. Cool whip. He might be a fan oh. of the Werther's originals. Mm. But right. definitely, be, he Pepperidge Farm remembers. When I unwrap that gold wrapper. Mm. Well, I, I love how he uses the term willful because he's 100% right. It's, you look at the previous administration to Trump, look what they did to our military, look what they did to our country. They willfully made it weaker. And yes. Trump came in and made it stronger. And what are they doing now within two years? Making it weaker again. Yeah, it's one of those things where uh, now we've heard several people just today, Adam Laxalt, um, Ralph Northam from South Carolina, and then Christina Bob all say how this is like willful, intentional, burn it down method. Yeah, you can't see it any other way. Like, no. I mean, it, it, it's not possible for you, it to happen this way. Do you way. want them to be this incompetent or do you, I mean, it's either on purpose or they're incompetent. And mm-hmm. I can't believe anybody is this incompetent. I don't yeah. even think it, 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 even if they, I don't think it, it, it's possible for being, for no. it to be incompetence. Like, no. I don't even think someone who is incompetent could make it be this bad this quickly. Like, I think it would take much longer if they were this incompetent. Um, it's, yeah. it's happening at breakneck speeds. They couldn't have dreamed for it to go as according to plans it has. I mean, it's literally like the lizard people laughing meme. The only, the only explanation is, is that they wanted this to happen. Sure. It's the explanation. Um, you know, they're all laughing at us. We're sitting here, you know, toiling away, figuring out why it's happening when in reality, this is exactly what they wanted. Donald, Donald Trump threw a huge wrench in their 16 year plan and they need to go into hyperspeed to to catch up uh, from what they lost in those four years. Donald Trump was in office. Well, we're taking a, we're taking the last couple cracks at it. We're going to see probably Boris Johnson out of office in the next couple months. Um, and we're going to need a real strong uh, England first prime minister in there. We're seeing the race in France tighten up like it's never tightened up before. Marine Le Pen, she has to win the presidency of France. She wants to reformalize uh, relations with Russia. She wants to back away from all these bullshit green 
energy policies, and she wants to completely end the illicit migration into mainland Europe, especially France, which has turned into an absolute shithole over the last decade because of those policies, most of them stemming out of Germany, and they're the ones at the center of all of this. It's pretty funny. We're always so fast to blame people like ISIS and the Taliban and China and Russia, but when you look at like where a lot of these uh, Davos-centered policies are coming from, Germany's been the leader of ridiculous migration into their country. Uh, they've ended the entirety of their nuclear programs and rely only on you know, uh, gas and, and clean energy now as they move towards green bullshit. And, um, you know, it just seems like every time something's going wrong globally, you could pretty much always pinpoint it back to them. So it's weird. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird, but sorry to any German listeners. When does, when does Hitler's daughter step down? (laughs) She's gone. (laughs) She's gone. She's currently gone. And, uh, yeah, they do have a new prime minister over there and, and, and hopefully, well, no, they're they're just as bad. It was the same pretty much side that won uh, the following election because she had term maxed out. But, uh, you know, we'll see. We're heading into the weekend right now. The news cycle's been busy over the course of the last couple of weekends. I'm hoping for a little bit more of a relaxed one. Maybe we'll do only two news blocks mm. on Tuesday. But uh, before we do cut um, and get out of here, we do want to let our listenership, if they're not already subscribed to We People Radio podcast or – um, you know, following James and, and his cohorts on social media, where can we find you guys? Uh, yeah, we can, you can find us at WPRUSA.com and, uh, we, the people radio with periods in between each letter, uh, on Instagram and WPRUSA 17 on Twitter. Uh, if you want to see us over there, uh, but yeah, check out all of our shows on all major podcast platforms. Videos are up on rumble and cloud hub cause they took us off of YouTube. Perfect. And we're live every Tuesday at 8.30, um, 8.30 Eastern uh, on all major streaming platforms except for Twitch because they just recently took us off. And you can also find us on the same platform as you guys, the Patriot Podcast Network. Which is Boom. Great, it's greatest of networks. One of the greatest network, one of the greatest channels on all of Roku. So go to Roku TV and uh, download the Patriot Podcast Network to listen to us, We the People Radio, and of course, our good friend Steaks for Breakfast. Absolutely. we're gonna Damn! Let- Thank you. We'll live link you guys in the show description today, James. And of course, too long this time. I think it was the holidays last time you were on. I know that we're both always busy and we're doing things, jumping on other people's shows and and, and hustling the best we can. But we've got to continue to uh, get together every once in a while and uh, have a good show. Oh, absolutely. I I really enjoy coming on and hanging out with you guys. Uh, You guys were on with us a couple weeks ago. We're definitely going to do it again. And uh, hopefully you'll see me early in the morning gangbanging on the government uh, with you guys at the Great Steak Breakfast. I'm mm. um, very excited for what you guys are doing over there. That's that's fucking awesome. Alan's a good friend as well. Uh, but thanks again for having me on. We definitely got to keep doing this and uh, doing some more collab sh- collab shows. Maybe maybe a maybe a swap cast is in is in the future. What do you guys think? That mm. works for us. Yeah. yeah, let's set something up. We'll make that happen. Yeah, we'll talk offline. And uh, you know, as we're getting ready to be joined by Arizona Senator Townsend right now, we're going to cut with you. So uh, we'll take care. Hey, God bless, guys. Thanks, James. All right, coming in next on the show today, she is an Arizona State Senator representing currently local District 16 there. Might change. She's big on election integrity. She's pro-life. Kind of likes the Constitution as well. We've been looking to have her on here for uh, quite a while, and we're, we're very happy to sit down with Senator Kelly Townsend. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me on, you guys. Senator Howard, things going in uh, the great state of Arizona. 
Well, we're still a red state. You know, we still have a lot of patriots down here and we have a movement to try and change that, but we're holding them off. We, they almost got us in the legislature this last time um, with redistricting. I think we're actually going to gain some seats back uh, and which we desperately need to do because with only a one seat majority, one person can thwart all your efforts. So we're hoping that uh, we uh, get out there and, and turn some more seats red so that we have a wider margin. And that's something I want to touch on with you about. You talked about one seat possibly being able to control the, the ebb and flow of, of legislation there. Um, you guys got some election-related stuff going on, and uh, that's that's kind of turned into a battle in the Senate. Can you give our listenership an update just on where Arizona's at in regards to uh, – passing some some new laws and stuff to to make the elections a little bit more secure absolutely you you have election law um where you are just reforming it making it better uh, and then you have election security laws and i had several election security laws everything from dealing with the drop boxes getting rid of the machines all of those things down to something as simple as you can't share logins and passwords and all but one of my election bills have died because one senator, or in some cases two senators, vote no on the bills. And the password one was one of them. You know, I said at, when I was explaining my vote, anybody who's read up on the board that's in the color red voting no, why don't you jot down your login information with your password and drop it right over here on my desk if you don't think this is an issue? You know, so it seems um, retaliatory. Uh, it doesn't seem like it makes any sense. So uh, we are stuck because Paul Boyer is killing almost all of the election integrity bills. He's only voted yes on a, on a handful. So we are basically going to have almost the same situation that we had in 2020 for the, well, we will absolutely have the same situation for the primary election because none of these bills are going to be in effect in time for the primary, which I've been yelling about since last year, we needed to get this stuff done last year. And um, all my bills got killed last year in the name of waiting till this year to, to spend more time on it. You know, that was Michelle Udenti Rita last year. Well, this year we won't be out of session in time for these to be in, in place in time for the primary. So it's not going well when it comes to changing the laws. Um, but I'm not giving up. We still have to go through the budget. I've got some great ideas on things we can do to clean up the voter rolls, uh, you know, uh, that we can put into the budget. So, uh, you know, there's no laying down and in, in, in defeat here. So we're, we're trying really hard. We're looking for ways to work around this and we'll see what happens. Do you think with the amount of awareness uh, that's been brought to the attention from a lot of the stuff that went down in Arizona, in addition to, um, getting the word out to have more people it doesn't necessarily need to be on the conservative side, but just in general that are going to, you know, show high, high, higher levels of integrity uh, when the actual elections are occurring. Do you think having more people involved that actually understand maybe what happened, you know, what ballot harvesting is, what putting ballots through the machines multiple times uh, is and stuff like that. Do you think just having more eyes on the ground, let's just say in the upcoming midterm elections is going to be something that at least helps make the elections a little bit more secure? hundred percent. You know, when we had a group of us down there on the day after the election in 2020 in the general, um, I was down there on the ground uh, with the, the public, you know, right away. And 
was fussing at them, you know, I was hearing these complaints that these people were telling me. I called and I asked to a, a lady who worked there and she said, she let me vent, you know, and uh, I said, why are we having these problems? And she said to me something that completely floored me. She said, Kelly, if Republicans cared so much, why are there no Republican observers down here watching the ballot adjudication? Mm -hmm. And I didn't believe her. And a lot of people won't believe that there was two Republicans. They were both attorneys and one was out on his phone and one wasn't in the building. And, and so what I, the reason I mentioned that is because I tell people it's kind of vigilante style now in a way where I'm asking every single person to volunteer in the next election because we have to have the observers there to make sure there's no shenanigans going on. When you have two full days of ballot adjudication with no Republican observers to see where they're actually re-voting the ballot, you don't know what happened and it just leaves it to the imagination, which destroys voter confidence. You know, I'm not saying that something did or did not, but voter confidence is paramount. And you don't get that when you don't have one of the parties there overseeing it. So, I mean, this was early, early on uh, days after the election happened, when most of the other legislators were telling me I was crazy and a conspiracy theorist and all this <laughs> other stuff, you know, but but honestly, uh, what I saw, it took a month for everyone to kind of come to terms with the fact that we needed to do something. And that was a lot of hard work to convince our side that there's a problem here. But, you know, there's been there's been a lot of people on the ground since day one really fighting. And I commend those people. And then there's been a lot of people coming alongside who's who agreed, OK, that we're just going to have to do this and, you know, see, let the chips fall where they may, regardless of what people call us. If they call us a conspiracy theorist or whatever. Doesn't matter what they call us. We need to take care of this problem. So we've been trying and it just the that rhetoric about, oh, you guys are crazy has just intensified and intensified. And the resolve of many of us has uh, mirrored that we are not backing down. We are just not. We have to have secure elections. Sure. Does it scare you to still have the voting machines in there? Uh, like Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Not in time for the not in time for the primary, mm. maybe for the general. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a lot. I had a, I had a bill that said if a contractor breaks Arizona state law, meaning Dominion, if they break the law, election law, they shall be held accountable, not may. You know, you're going to have to hold these guys accountable. That didn't go forward. You know, he killed that one. So it's just it's really frustrating and disheartening. But like I said, we're going to we're going to keep fighting. We're going to find ways to get around this. And then the, the most recent thing I've heard is from the printer of the ballots that there's a paper shortage I'll and that. that the recorders may or may not have enough paper to print the ballots. You know, so it's just it keeps continuing and it's a full on assault of our election process. We need to it's, it's all hands on deck, you know, and we we need to be there and make sure that this is taken care of as best we can. Oh, it's good to bring awareness to the listenership and, uh, you know, for our, all our Arizona listeners out there, make sure you're getting involved in those elections for providing oversight and helping out in any way you can. Uh, Senator, next thing I want to touch with you on, I think it's, it's probably equally, if not a bigger issue to the state of Arizona and the country is the crisis that we have going on down on the Southern border. Um, you know, we, we just found out today there was some breaking news this morning on behalf of Breitbart that uh, Title 42 has already dropped off for, um, you know, uh, intended immigrants coming from other countries, economic 
um, and for whatever purposes, trying to claim asylum here uh, for several countries. And then moving forward, we'll have the full drop off, I believe, on May 23rd of this year. Um, you guys are already, I'm sure, completely overwhelmed at the border with all the stuff that's going on. And it looks like heading into the summer months, it's only going to get worse. Um, what What is the, the state working on down there to try and uh, fix this stuff? And what are some of the things you could see after the midterm elections when we have some uh, changing of the guard there? Are you hopeful to see uh, Arizona really going to lock it down? Well, what's important is that we sort out what Arizona can and cannot do. And there's there's question about that. We have one of our governor candidates saying, we're just going to deport them, right? right? We're just going to gather them up and send them back. And the public is loving it. They think, that's a great idea. Let's do that. You know, um, I'm a constitutionalist. And as much as I would like to deport people who are not here legally, the Constitution in Article 1, Section 8 clearly says that the immigration and that is the job of the federal government. So the question is, okay, can we call it an invasion um, and then basically go to war with them? And so there's a lot of differing opinions about what Arizona can and cannot do under Article 1, Section 10, the 14th Amendment, Article 4, Section 4, all the various parts of the Constitution. So um, I asked the attorney general for an opinion on that. You know, do we have to declare war? Does it have to be if it's a government uh, invading the, the, uh, the state or can it be individuals? So I have a, like a long list of questions for the attorney general for him to answer. And if he answers the way we think he's going to do, then I expect the governor to act upon that. Right. And do the things that uh, we need to do to protect the people of this state. You know, so many people, uh, one of the mothers of a police officer who was murdered by an, an illegal alien, she's running to uh, for the House of Representatives, I believe, here in Arizona at this time, District 9. Um, and so these are the kinds of things that, that impact us. She's so serious about it that she wants to uh, go in and make change at Marianne Mendoza. I had to think of her name. Marianne Mendoza, uh, she's running for office. Um, this is a serious issue because we are a border state, obviously. We have a, a Native American Indian reservation down there on the border that overlaps Mexico and Arizona. And somebody said, can we build the wall around the the reservation you know and there's a lot of people thinking on a creative way of how can we solve this problem because clearly the biden administration is not going to do that no they've given uh all of our states on the southern border little to no help and and pretty much the opposite of such and like i said it looks like it's only going to get worse um while they continue to extend let's just say mass mandates for public transportation airplanes and for children at school they're about to drop it all on the southern border and let people from this year up to 119 countries just cross in freely and uh you know claim asylum and be transported to wherever they want to go in the united states it's it's pretty despicable and and one of the things that we hope arizona continues to uh you know fight back and push back on find the legal ways to best combat it and then moving forward you know continue to lock it down like florida uh, has with DeSantis and uh, Texas is definitely starting to do on a little bit right. better basis now. So, I, I well, think, I have I have a, a bill in the House that um, is going to fortify and organize the state guard. We have already Sylvia Allen had a bill that brought in the ability to have a state guard. This bill is going to then organize it. Who's in charge? The chain of command? All those things that needs to happen this year so that we can have resources. Because if we try to use the National Guard the federal government can nationalize them and take them away from us. Yep. So we need our own guard that we can send down there. That's a great idea. And, and something that I, I'm going to look into that bill and hope that it, 
it gets passed. Um, Senator, one of the things I want to touch on, and you obviously last, I think it's probably the most important one is your upcoming uh, midterm election and the campaign that you're going through now. Some people call it the most interesting, the hottest, the, the biggest battle out of all the local districts and probably the country. Definitely the most, uh, two of the biggest well names uh, out there. How's the race going? What made you decide that this is where you were going to draw the line? And uh, what's going on right now in the campaign? Well, first, I'm going to preface it with uh, the most interesting, the hottest, all of those comments that the media is doing and waiting to, you know, see a brawl, a cat fight, all these things. I do want to touch on the fact that I did not um, decide to serve the state and the country this way to be a political entertainer. I didn't. And that's, we've gotten to a place where politics has become entertainment and I by no means am willing to feed that beast. So I just want everyone to know right now, if you're looking for some kind of cat fight or whatever else, that's not going to happen. I, you know, both of us are veterans. Honor is important and, and we're not here at least I am not here to be some kind of a political show. So I, I, uh, I'm saddened to see those type of headlines, first of all. Um, Wendy Rogers and I have worked side by side on many things. Uh, I, I need her to be strong on elections, which she has been. You know, um, we're both conservative. So when they drew us together into the same district, uh, we tried really hard to make that not so... But the powers that be behind the scenes, I don't know, managed to put us into this giant behemoth of a district. (laughs) And it's very clear when you look at it, what they were doing. And you have um, several of us running for house and then two of us running for the Senate. So at first I was deciding that I I don't want to run against Wendy Rogers. That's not how we should have done this. You know, they can't consider our districts. They're not supposed to, but when I look at it, I think that they did. Um, but I decided, you know, I'm not going to play into that. I'm just going to go ahead and put my name in the hat for Congress and and do that. And and I was off and running, and I was I was courting the president for his endorsement. You know, I was working back and forth with his staff. Sure. And I have it on my phone. Um, the media reported it incorrectly. I my statement clearly says that I. I turned it down and said, I will save you the trouble, you know, of, of having to pick between Wendy and I, as I, as I end my campaign for Congress and go back to running for reelection, I will not make you have to pick. So I'm just going to return the endorsement. I've got that on my phone where he said, it's done. We're going to publish it. He told you to fight hard, you know? So then he wrote me a letter and said, tell me what you're going to do next. Um, Excellent job. Things like that. He's gave me a shout out. So I'm not seeking to try and undo her endorsement so that he'll endorse me. I think it's clear that he likes us both. But when you asked, when do I draw the line? And I was quite generous to Wendy. Um, she had been censured by the Senate because yes. she, had thre- she had threatened us. You know, she had threatened us uh, to destroy our careers if anybody came against us. She had talked about violence. And now there's a question. I'm not going to condemn her on that because she was talking about treason that, you know, if you've adjudicated it, the, it's a thing, you know, to execute somebody for treason. So that's fair game. But threatening us wasn't cool. But I was willing to... Uh, say because I wasn't there the day they did the censure and uh, I wanted to go into the journal um, 
where my position was. The journal is a really important thing. It's got a lot of great stories in there. And that was a pretty ugly story that we entered into the journal um, when she was talking about uh, supporting Nick Fuentes, who is just a disgusting human being talking about the Jewish uh, Holocaust that, you know, there's no way Cookie Monster could have baked, um, was it six, six million cookies in his oven in five years, maybe a couple hundred thousand and talking about young girls are a fair game for old men. If they've, as long as they've reached puberty, that should be the age of consent, you know, things like that, uh, really ugly things. Um, and uh, I gave her opportunity to say, I support his first amendment right, but I don't agree with him. Right. You know, we can't agree with that kind of thing. That's like saying somebody from the Westboro Baptist church is, um, you know, going to run for Senate. And even though they're really good on elections and the border and all these other issues, they're right on target. You know, we don't want them running for Senate because they're going to soil the Republican name. And, and, and it's, the, it's the same situation. And I really had hoped that what she would do uh, when I made my announcement on the floor the next day, I would like the senator to say that she defends his First Amendment, uh, but that she cannot agree or condone this behavior. And she refused to do it. And she had tweeted out a picture of a rhinoceros and it said CPAC on it. And above it, it said uh, AFPAC, which was Nick Fuentes' pack with a picture of her, him and the CEO of Gab and that she'd held a rifle like she'd killed the rhino and in the rhinoceros in the A it was a star of David. Mm. Like she'd killed it. Like the CPAC was full of Jews and she'd killed it. And I just was like, that's it. I can't. Um, I, I had stepped aside to make room for her to run for Senate and I would run for Congress, but that's also my seat as I I've been there 10 years. She, she'd been there one, you know, and I said, you know, I, I cannot um, stand aside, be silent. If she's not willing to say that and say, she said, I shouldn't have to say that, you know, and, and then to go out and tweet that um, was, I think, an endorsement of what. And then the other thing was she put a video out and she said, Nick Fuentes, I admire you. Keep doing what you're doing. You're the future of this country. You know, that was that was too much. And I, I like Wendy. I, I wish her well. But I'm going to run for my seat. I'm going to run for re-election, and I'm going to just have to say, it's just like the Westboro Baptist Church. We cannot remain silent when somebody is doing something so egregious. So um, she's got over a million dollars in the bank. <laughs> I don't. I I haven't even had time to start fundraising yet. So I have some, but not a lot. And uh, who knows what's going to happen? I, I always say God is bigger than money, and if He wants me in there, it'll happen. And if He doesn't, it won't. But uh, I, I spent all day yesterday fighting for a woman in the hospital who uh, was going to be taken off of life support against the wishes of her family, and you know that's what I do. I'm I'm here for the people. That's my what I'm known the most for is constituent services and fighting. I fought all through the pandemic for people's rights for people who were stuck in a hospital, for people who couldn't get medication, for people who were going to lose their jobs because they didn't want to be vaccinated. You know, I got a religious exemption in the, in the books for them. I've just done so much. Uh, I want to keep doing that. But, you know, it's kind of in God's hands at this point and, and the people's. And we're just going to keep working and uh, try to get good election reform, take, the, take care of the border, deal with the issue with inflation and all the things that are going on. So we have a lot of work to do. And uh, unfortunately, we also have to campaign. <laughs> so, And I think that's the biggest component of it, like regardless of the backstory, which is an extremely interesting one. And, 
you know, you touched on Nick Fuentes. We don't really talk about him on this show. It's, it's kind of the, you know, it is what it is. You, you outlined it almost perfectly, but man, that guy, his PR department and scheduler, he's nailed so many of the, the bigger names in, in, in Congress, like the actual Congress, the U S Congress. I, I just can't believe it. Sometimes like you type in his name on, on Twitter and within like three seconds, you can find like some of the most outrageous material you'll ever see. Regardless, that's his first amendment, right? And we're not going to repress that, but I'm just saying like, you know, I wish Matt Gates and Madison Cawthorn would come over my house and hang out with me. And I don't say any of those things. Um, you know, and it's one of those things where you just kind of, we're living in weird times. This is, uh, definitely one of the most interesting races. I'll say that at least it's not going to be King Kong versus Godzilla. I think you guys at the end of the day are going to run two extremely professional campaigns. I think you guys are going to battle it out. And at the end of the day, that people are going to make the best informed decision. You've laid it out here for our listenership today. Uh, Wendy Rogers to this point is, has declined to come on the show, but, Maybe, you know, if they check out our social media, she'll be more inclined now that we've had you and got some some really strong receipts. Uh, Senator, we want to be able to direct our listenership to anywhere that they could find you across social medias. And, of course, between now and the midterms, we'd love to have you back if you would uh, be so inclined to join us. Absolutely. Not a problem. My website is just my name, kellytownsend.com. So it's Kelly with a Y and Townsend, T-O-W-N-S-E-N-D, like town or city and send a letter, Townsend. KellyTownsend.com, and I would be happy to hear from anybody. I'm on Twitter. It's AZKellyT, so A-Z-K-E-L-L-Y-T is my Twitter handle. I'm on Facebook. I'm mostly on Telegram right now, although they have attacked my channel with a ton of bots. So (laughs) if you can sift through the bots here, you know, you'll find me there most frequently right now. But that's about all I have time for. Yeah, it's uh... not on the other ones. Telegram's an interesting one, and uh, we're going to live link those in the show description today. There are a lot of bots on there, by the way, as well. We've, we've run into the same issues on ours. And uh, like I said, we'll be we'll be definitely looking to invite you back between now and the midterm elections. This is Senator Kelly Townsend, who's currently representing Local District 8 in Arizona, looking to represent seven probably after the midterm elections. Thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Well, thanks for having me. God bless you guys. You as well, ma'am. What a great way to end the week. Solid. Yeah, I like it. Excellent show today. Three great guests, an amazing guest host, and uh, all the opportunities to be able to hear the Steak for Breakfast podcast can be found across all major downloadable podcasting platforms. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, FM Player, iHeartRadio, and now exclusively via your Roku Player, Patreon Podcast Network application. Download it. You can watch us talk. And it'll be pretty amazing. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Don't forget to leave a review. Download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds obviously go to our guests today. We had on the uh, lovely Christina Bob of Save America, Mr. Adam Lexalt, who's looking to flip the Senate to the Republican side, running in Nevada, America First campaign there, and Senator Kelly Townsend, Arizona, about to heat up in one of the biggest local races you'll ever know in a head-to-head matchup with none other than Wendy Rogers. In addition to that, we have our internet friends, Cagbro88, Patriotic Babe Accounts, Mr. Garbaggio, Kyle Becker of Kyle Becker News, John Backman of Newsmax, and Tom Pappert, the editor-in-chief of Valiant News Live. Friends, don't forget to go and uh, throw some cashola at our partners, because when you do that, all you do is help make small American businesses great again. My Pillow, Mike Lindell, My Pillow Family, Easter Weekend, Jesus Lives, Apparatus, and a promo code stake at checkout. B. 
big, big savings. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website where you can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and all things related. When you're in the studio, want those fresh beats in your ear, odyssey.com. Get your ears taken care of, done right. Find them on Facebook, find them on Instagram as well. Stay ready, gear holsters. If you would like a picture of, uh, let's see, what do we got this week? Buses of migrants being dropped off at the Capitol. Oh. Stay ready, gear holsters. will put it on a concealed Kydex holster for you, and they'll get it out faster than ever before. Stayreadygear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram, too. Man rubs. Don't mistreat your meat, because when you buy it, shake it, sprinkle it, rub it, smoke it. Pull it, drizzle a little barbecue sauce right in the mouth, num, num, num. Manrubs.com, Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. He's got the simplest of equations when it comes to all things gun-related. Firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com is the website, and the phone number is 619-870-6992. You can find them on Facebook Messenger. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. They've got everything you need and more, plus a pretty fire IG. Find them at MediocreMedic.com. And last but certainly not least, the home of the Zero Fucks Duck. If you don't know, go ask Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us. Find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. As we transition, we've got upcoming shows. We're going to be back here on Tuesday. We've got a good one. Luna Lopez, she's running in Florida 4. Jason Preston's going to be coming back, picking up steam in Utah 3. Brent Hamachek, the managing editor of Human Events, will be joining us. And we'll get an update on the Reawaken American Tour with none other than Mr. Clay Clark. Next Friday, so far, we've got Norbin Laden scheduled. I think that's enough said, but we'll see what happens. Following week, we've got a banger. Tuesday, April 26th. Georgia 10, candidate Mike Collins. Thomas Massey's primary challenger in Kentucky 4, Claire Worth. Geisha Montez is going to jump in with us to do the news. I know Noah's excited for that. Nice. And then we got a senatorial edition of our Steak for Breakfast roundtables. Blake Masters running in Arizona. Jake Biquette running in Arkansas. It's going to be a good one. Following Friday, Joe Kent from Washington 3, great friend of the show. He'll be joining us. Herschel Walker running in the Georgia Senate race against Raphael Warnock, looking to flip that state and make it 52-48 Republicans. He'll be joining us as well. And we're going to have a conversation with Mr. Amir Benno, Newsmax contributor, constitutional attorney. It's going to be a good time. Paige Wiley, former Trump administration official and host now of This Is Your Country podcast, will be joining us on the 6th of May. Friends of the Week, Sublime and Slime, what I mean to say, Hugh White memes, We'll obviously throw James from We The People Radio in there today. John Hacker, L.A., That Southern Dude, Grand Old Memes, Silent Meme Jordy, Dumbass Photoshop, Mostly Peaceful, Hubertos 2.0, Snack Thickelson, and Baby Cakes 2.0. It's a good round of them this week. Guys, we got a couple things to remember over the weekend. It's not that hard. Number one, do your own research. It's not that hard at all. You don't like the narrative on the show? Fact check us. You'll find out it's true. Might open up your eyes a little bit. Number two, start a podcast. Noah's ready to do some editing before a nap. Facts. Yep. And uh, it's super easy. Trust us. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. Can't stress enough. Hope everybody has a great Easter weekend. And we'll be back on Tuesday with Luna Lopez, Jason Preston, Clay Clark, and Brent Hamachek. 
You've been listening to episode 126 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And on behalf of the crew, I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Have a great weekend. Antoinette will be back soon. Thanks for listening and take care. something else I'm not supposed to say. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. And I can already see WRL out there. They got their licking their pencils right now. Trying to write fierce as they can. Get every word of this here. Get every word of this. You can go to the doctor and get cut up. You can go down to the dress shop and get made up. You can go down there and get drugged up. But at the end of the day, you were just a drugged up, dressed up, made up, cut up, man or woman. You ain't changed what God put in you, that DNA. You can't transcend God's creation. I don't care how hard you try. The transgender movement in this country, if there's a movement in this country that is demonic and that is full of anti- the spirit of antichrist, it is the transgender movement. It's time for grown-ups and time for Christians to start standing up and being unafraid to tell the truth. Come after me if you want to. I don't care. You want my head? Here it is right here. Come on, come get it. I don't care because it's time for us to stand up. Now, I'm not afraid to stand up and tell the truth about that issue. They're dragging our kids down into the pit of hell, trying to teach them that mess in our schools. Tell you like this, that ain't got no place at no school. Two plus two don't equal transgender. It equals four. We need to get back to teaching them how to read instead of teaching them how to go to hell. Damn!